coming up next on the Wetfly Swing Podcast. What you're going to do next is you're going to buy those wet wading socks, those like neoprene socks that you wear in the summertime when you're not wearing waders so your boot fits, you know what I mean? And so you get your thinnest merino wool sock or like a dress sock, something really thin. You put that on. Then you put on the neoprene wading sock. Then you get into your waders. So you have six millimeters of neoprene foam between your foot and the boot instead of three. And it it is night and day. You will never be cold ever again. I don't care how cold the water gets. That was Eric Leninger with a huge cold water tip to keep your feet warm and toasty while wading this winter. Kings versus Coho, Steelhead versus Muskie, and the Mega Mend today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. Please share this episode. If you get a chance, you can click there in your app, whatever you're in there. There's usually a little button you down and say, and it says share. Click that share button, and uh, this is a good way to connect with other anglers, help some people out, and help us uh, get more exposure for this podcast. Thanks for advance if you uh, get a chance to share an episode today. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Meal Bars. Each bar is 700 calories and fits easily into the pocket of your backpack, vest, or wherever you need. Range bars are made using only the highest quality gluten-free ingredients, and they are the most convenient and compact way to get out the door and on the river. You can support this podcast and a great local company right now by heading over to wetflyswing.com range. That's R-A-N-G-E. Range meal bars, a legitimate meal in your pocket. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, Idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing, from the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake, and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between. Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to Eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com Teton. Eric Leninger takes us into his background as a guide in Alaska and around the West. We get some good stories. We really go deep uh, into some of that Alaska experience. We find out uh, how the mega mend, as I noted at the beginning, came to be. This is a great mend when they're fishing for kings that allowed them to get the fly in position to get many more hookups. We find out how Eric uh, first invented the integrated sinking line in his style, at least out there. We dig into that. So that's pretty interesting. And then we find out about Friday Night Flies, how it's been evolving over time into a uh, a pretty good online party right now. We got a bunch of great shout outs and resources in this one. You're going to come out of this with a good all around background on everything we talk about here, including tiger muskie. We dig into tiger muskie on this one. So it's going to be going to be a fun one. So without further ado, here we go. Eric Leninger from flyfishportland.com. How's it going, Eric? It's going well, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on here. And, uh, I guess there's not really any confusion. Fly Fish Portland, is it always Portland, Oregon, or is it ever Portland, Maine? Uh, it's always Portland, Oregon, uh, staying on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no confusion out there. Portland's the, the fly fishing. So have you ever been out east? Have you ever you, you done much of that? 
Uh, a little bit. Uh, years ago, my sister lived out in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. So I'd been out there and out to Boston a few times, uh, recently out to Vermont uh, last fall. So I've uh, done a little bit of traveling out there, but just haven't done a lot of fishing or anything out there. Yeah. And you were doing some, weren't you hitting uh, some other warm water stuff out, uh, redfish, something like that recently? Yeah. Yeah. I got a good buddy, uh, Captain Jeff Arnold. Uh, I roomed with him for years in Alaska and I get to go down there, you know, a few times during the year and and we chase redfish and sheepshead and, and black drum and all sorts of stuff. So, um, yeah, I was just down there, uh, last month and yeah, it's always just a good time down there. There's kind of fish everywhere. He's got a a really strong program so does he uh, yeah I've heard yeah of him, yeah yeah we just you know he, he spends a lot of time scouting out there so oh, um, right. i i just reap the benefits i basically just show up and he he puts me on fish for however many oh, days in there <laughs> yeah and where's he at exactly so he's out of hopedale um about an hour outside of new orleans and uh yeah he's been down there for god eight years or so now okay um so yeah he guides there basically late march through basically the end of october yeah end of october how how's the um is he as far as like if you want to put together a trip maybe a you know group trip host a trip whatever is that is that something there's the facilities everything's down there that's pretty easy to do yeah 100 percent. um there's a couple options there's obviously the dogwood lodge uh that bart runs down there and it's you know it's full service so people stay down there they got room and board and food and guides and the whole nine yards. Um, you could do a little more dirt bagging it. There's Airbnbs down there mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. Um, I'm actually hosting a trip there next fall, so we're all pretty excited to get down there. Nice. Um, and yeah, there's lots of accommodations. Quite quite a few people do uh, hosted trips down there. My Brett uh, buddy Brett Wedeking has done a couple down there. Uh, he's up in Washington, and uh, yeah, it's pretty user friendly. Pretty pretty yeah. plug and play. You know, once you find a guide, you just go down there and set up shop for a week and. Yeah, just have have a blast. That's it. Have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> we might see how this goes today if we have some time to dig back into some of your other travels. And But I wanted to touch base, like we said, on Portland, you know, kind of more around the Northwest. Um, you've got a couple of species. Sounds like you're doing more warm water stuff. The tiger muskie is pretty interesting. So I think we're going to dig into that today and maybe see how much time we have left to do some other stuff. But uh, but take us back quickly just on fly fishing. So how did you first get started in this and take you to where how you got into fly fish Portland? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not one of those guys that, you know, grew up fly fishing, been doing it my whole life. I I got a way late start. Um, I mean, I grew up fishing with dad, bass fishing, um, high school years, you know, sneaking into golf courses at night. That was a ton of fun catching just largemouth, um, running from security, all that fun stuff (laughs) as a kid. (laughs) And, uh, you know, jumping some fences at some reservoirs that you'd probably get locked up now, you know, post 9-11 for, but... uh, yeah, just did did all that. Um, kind of moved up to Oregon, sight unseen. Just I was bored uh, where I was living, um, where I grew up, and uh, had a buddy moving up here. So I just kind of was kind of just jumped on that and said, "Hey, do you need a roommate?" Uh, and moved up here. God, twenty years ago now. Oh wow! Yeah, and where'd you come from? Uh, Encinitas. It's like a little surf town. Oh yeah, um, in Southern California, and uh, it's great. You know, people hear that I moved from there and they're, you know, they can't believe it, but it's, it's just weather, you know, people are like, oh, it's so nice down there. And it's like, I know, yeah, I mean, the weather's good, but like, there's just not a lot to do, um, you know, late teens through twenties, like you got to make some serious coin to, 
be able to be happy down there. Um, and yeah, there's just not a lot of fishing opportunities. Um, you know, you could yep. fish off the, off the beach and there's plenty of bass fishing, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to change. So I came up to Oregon, um, and God, I was probably 26. Uh, and like a lot of people went out, um, to Montana fishing with dad, um, saw a trout eat a stimulator, you know, <laughs> switch, switch got flicked and basically, you know, dropped out of college the next day, even <laughs> though I was not really all the way in it. I was just kind of going through, yeah. the, uh, you know, going through the oh, yeah. paces. Um, and yeah, trout fish for a little bit, kind of lost interest in that fairly quickly uh, and got turned on to steelhead and it, it just kind of spiraled down. Steelhead from that. Got, yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. I went up to a, uh, I got invited to go up to uh, Canada by my buddy, Justin Barry, um, who I met at a, a wedding for about five seconds. Um, <laughs> you know, a friend of a friend is like, hey, you should meet, you know, my buddy, Justin, he's crazy for steelhead. And, you know, we talked for about a minute. Uh, oh, yeah. Ceremony started, you know, things got lost in the shuffle. And then, uh, you know, later that fall, I just get a random call from him and, He's like, hey man, it's Justin. You know how's it going? And I, I had no idea who it was. I was like, who? And he's like, yeah, you know Justin from Sarah and Daniel's wedding. And I was like, oh yeah, hey man, what's going on? He's he's like, hey man, do you want to go to the Bulkley? Nice. And uh, I didn't know what it was at that time. You know, I was just yeah. like, you know, what's a Bulkley? Uh, he's like, oh, it's you know, it's badass steelhead up in Canada. And so you know, kind of was like, okay, I'm down for that. Uh, took a train up there met him you know talked to him for like five minutes like i said prior to that and uh just got along real well and and drove out there and and was able to spend a couple weeks on the bulkley and met a bunch of really cool guys i met uh scotty baker mcgarva up there um and just a, a bunch of kind of guys that have, are a staple in canada um this guy josh temple and they're all super nice and super sharing with uh techniques and just everything about steelhead so um that's kind of how I got into that uh, whole section of the of Steelhead, really. Gotcha. Yeah. So the Bulkley, what year was that when you made that first trip up there? God, I think that was like 2009, so it wasn't that long ago. Oh wow, less than 2009. That, that's pretty yeah. cool. I love going back because I we have hopes to get you know do more trips out there, but it's been a while since I've been up. But I think I was actually down there during that year. I think that was one of the first years we went up there. And uh, so we might have, we probably crossed paths somewhere along the way. <laughs> yes. Were you at? He's probably towards the end of September into October. Yeah, exactly. I think we're there the last week of September and the first week of October. So there you, um, go. There you go. Yeah, just right there, right there at Fort Telqua, just everybody being a steelhead bum after their, yep. their season. We were doing more of the uh, heading up the Maurice, doing some floats up there. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We yeah. fished that for a day. That was a cool little river. Yep. Um, yeah. They're the ones that convinced me to, uh, start working in Alaska actually. Cause you know, I was just blown away that they were able to, to guide in that area. And, you know, I'm just like, man, how, how do I get a job up here? And right. they basically <laughs> said there I could, uh, but they're the ones yep. that, you know, kind of put the, uh, plant of the seed of Alaska for sure. Right. Right. So you head up to Alaska short are you, and like, where do you go? What's, what's that look like up there? Yeah. So everything happened pretty quick, right? I mean, 26, 27, I, I picked up a fly rod. Um, three years later, I'm in Alaska guiding. Uh, I ended up at um, this lodge called Good News River Lodge. And uh, yeah, I mean, pretty, um, 
was sort of intimidated is the best I could say. Yeah. I'd never driven a jet boat. Um, I'd never guided anybody. I totally lied on my resume for oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'd never, I didn't grow up around guns. So like carrying a shotgun, firing shotgun, that was all new. So all that stuff was brand new. Um, so I was white knuckling it the first mm. year for sure. Um, definitely put the boat on a couple gravel bars. Um, definitely blank during King season a couple days. And I mean, I probably quit like six or seven times in my head that first season. No kidding. Oh yeah. It was just wow. it was so, so hard. So many days in a row. What, what was it? Was it because I, I mean, take, some people have, I mean, I've been up there, but I've never done quite that. What, what's the hardest thing about doing a full season there? Uh, uh, just mentally staying in it. You know, my first three years up there, Alaska was very different. Now it's like 80 degrees and you wear a t-shirt. It's weird. Oh, right. The last couple of years were just so hot. I was up there. Um, but yeah, first couple of years, you know, high of 50, low of, you know, 39 raining from, oh, yeah. you know, the moment you open your eyes until the, the moment you go to bed. So just everything's wet. Um, your hands can start to cramp pretty gnarly and get like little like claws from pulling wet wink anchor rope uh mm. bouncing down the river you know i don't work up there anymore so i'm a i could be a little bit more loose with the the descriptions but the clients that go to alaska not the greatest let's just say that oh right and right, so right. you know expectations are out of this world you know you you right. talk to them the night before and hey what do you guys want to do oh we'd love to catch some kings on the fly and me being an idiot my first year i'm like oh sweet we're gonna tear them up like okay great um I'll see you guys in the morning, you know, no, no follow-up questions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they get in the boat and they're like in neoprene waders. It's like, okay, red flag. Uh, and then it's like, okay, where's your guys' rods? And they're like, oh, we didn't bring any. It's like, okay, second red, red flag. Um, and it's just like, okay, well, um, I'll go grab a couple rods. So I go grab a couple and, you know, they're just kind of looking at them like a foreign object. And that's when it hits. It's like, have you guys done this before? It's like, no, never. It's like, oh my God, you know, I'm never, these, never fished, never, fly never, fished. yeah, never fly fished. Or it's like, oh yeah, you know, you get the, um, we fly fish for 20 years, but you know, it's, it's Alaska for one yep. week for the last 20 right. years. So it's like no prep, no, no casting, yeah, no. no practice. <laughs> so I'm holding, yeah. I'm handing them a 10 weight, you know, with a, oh, with a wow. four, 400 grain shooting head and a half a chicken. And it's like, they're not going to get it. You know, it's, it's no. going to be a lot of casting practice. So. To come kind of full circle, you know, what's the hardest part is it's that every day for, you know, 10 to 12 hours, you know, you're in the boat for nine and then, you know, cleaning all the fish and packaging it and getting your boat all clean and getting stuff ready for the next day and time flies. So, so yeah, you do like 103 or 105 days in a row, uh, first couple of years, just no day off. Um, And so, yeah, towards the end of the season, you're you're a shell of a human being. I mean, (laughs) you're just, you're rocked. And, uh, you know, when people come up there, it's a lot of money and they're trying to have, you know, one of the best trips of their life. So it's every day, you know, you just got to turn it on and try to, you know, have these people have, you know, a really good experience. Um, if you're a good guy, that's, that, that's the difference between a good, good guides is the ones that can just dig in and make it, um, you know, it's not, it's not fake. It's they, they really, yeah, they're loving it. They love being on the water. They love instructing yep. and, and stuff. So you just got, you got to just <laughs> dig down there and, and find a way to, to enjoy that day and to, 
and to get those people in the fish. So it, right. uh, it can wear on you a little bit. That's for sure. You know, there's a lot of screaming into pillows and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, metaphorically, you know, it yeah. almost sounds like a, you know, like a, I mean, this is getting the extreme, obviously, but like the post-traumatic stress disorder, I've, I've been reading some books on that. Right. I mean, obviously we're joking aside, there's some serious stuff there, but I mean, it sounds pretty intense. Like you literally you're, you're in that and it, it is a, um, yeah, obviously not easy, but I mean, how long did, did, did you stick with the Alaska stuff? So I did six full seasons. So from, you know, that's the other thing is people don't realize is a lot of the guys that go up early, you know, you get up to Anchorage maybe at the end of May and then you fly out to camp maybe the first week of June and then you're just doing manual labor. I mean, sh- I mean, pro tip to any new g- guide going to Alaska, don't get suckered into going up early all uh, right. because all you're going to do is break your back basically building a camp. Right. and not and not get tipped so if oh, you man. if you want to work for four dollars an hour i've got a great <laughs> option right. for you so you know it's just stuff that needs to be done um yep. and you know doing it that first year it's pretty cool because you get to see how camps run but um man it's it's mm. it's pretty gnarly so um you know i was never in the armed forces or anything and it's not even close to what those guys go no. through but there there is kind of a little bond that happens oh, right. um with um with the crew up there um you know we joked around it's like there's a core crew it's like the guys that have been there for a long time so mm. i'd done six full seasons at that point uh my buddy jeff had done uh 12 and then you know we got guys like ross that did six um my buddy kyle did six or seven uh johnny was up there six or seven he's still up there craddy he's still up there i think this is like his ninth or tenth season so a, a large majority of the guide staff had you know six or seven years experience so um that that lodge kind of had a golden age where when clients came in it didn't really matter who you were going with they they knew the system and and we could yeah. put people on fish um yeah but yeah that's that's part of it you know like you get done with your season and it's just like man I am not coming back. Like right. <laughs> I am, I'm, I am going to do something different. And then, you know, it starts to kind of all the hard work and the bad days kind of fade. And, you know, yeah. once April starts rolling around, um, at least in my view of it, it was like, well, I can't leave these dudes to do all this work. Mm. Like you got to kind of pull your end. So it's like, okay, like I'm going back in, like you fly up there and it's just like, let's just get through it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Then I did like three uh, little short seasons. I forget what Jeff used to call it, but he used to make fun of me saying something, but um, basically he'd fly in for silver season. So he'd be there for like a month. Um, September or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, five weeks or something wasn't, wasn't bad. There's, you know, fish everywhere. So yeah, it, it wasn't that bit of a gig. Yeah. So that's the thing. We've talked a little bit about this recently, you know, talked to Brian O'Keefe back, you know, and just that whole thing on, uh, you know, salmon in Alaska, you know, you got coho, you got Chinook, you got other fish, but so what is the the difference for you, coho versus Chinook? So on our river, you know, um, the Good News River, I don't know how it is now, but I would say more often than not in August, it, it would just get real stupid. I mean, there'd be so many fish around, um, you're only maybe six miles up from the bay. So they're all obviously wild. Um, They're coming in hot and, you know, bright. 
Um, yeah. Is that the good news? Is that take us on? Is that the good news, or is that like Cusco? That's Cuscoquim area, right? Or is that north? Uh, it's called the it's called the Cuscoquim drainage, but we're pretty far from that actually. But yeah, that is you know Good yeah. News River dumping into Good News Bay there, gotcha. yeah. um, Southwest Alaska. Um, yeah. I mean, they just literally eat anything. I mean. And I do mean anything. Uh, you know, I had a guy, David Harris, he used to bring up his whole tackle box full of bass lures and he'd catch them on spinner baits and plugs and Texas rig worms. And I mean, we yeah. would, we'd spray paint cigarette butts pink and cover them in aqua seal and, you know, thread a hook through them and like skitter them on top. They'd eat that. They eat bass oh, wow. poppers. I mean, they eat Zara spooks. So, you know, you're going to catch <laughs> fish. You know, that's the thing is coho season is, even if you can't hit your ass with both hands, if you can get the fly in the water, I mean, I can't tell you how many fish were caught after they released it. The fly is just hanging off oh, the back right. of the boat and yep. fish just comes up and smashes it. So Boom. yeah, that, that, that's cool. part of the, yeah, that's part of the problem <laughs> because yeah. people, people are like, Hey everybody, look how good of a fisherman I am. And it's like, no, like yeah. <laughs> anybody can do this. So, um, you know, they come back for king season and it's it's all of a sudden realities come knocking at the door. Um they're they're deep, um, uh, they're just not as aggressive as Coho. Um, you gotta get it in their face and you gotta drill them when when they eat. You know, you you let them eat it just like a steelhead, but you got to cross their eyes because mm. they just are really yeah. hard to stay stuck. So gotcha. Just having <clears throat> you know, accurate expectations can make or break your day for sure. Um yep. But our river is a little bit deeper. There were spots to throw a two-hander, but most of the fishing was with a single hand uh, out of the boat. Oh, okay. Yeah, mostly single. Yeah, out of the boat. So you're just kind of like anchored up swinging through deep runs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, if, if you're a moderate um, angler, like if you could throw if you could throw a full shooting head and, a you know, some type of intruder, it, whatever, the fly didn't, didn't really matter. Um, if you could throw it 40 feet, 50 feet um, and you got control of your swing, you know, you probably hook 10 or 15 fish a day. Oh, so you would, it, Chinook. Yeah. Yeah. It could, it, could, it can be right. really good. I saw yeah. some pretty epic days. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But that, that is the thing. Yeah. The best thing that um, Alaska did for me is um, just a quick story is uh, I did all like the social media stuff for them for, you know, four or five years. Um, That's the and, good news river lodge. Yep. Yep. So I ran, you know, their Instagram and I, I built one of their websites, th not the current one that they use, but, um, yeah, just would take photos and video and, um, you know, just run that side of things for, for quite a few years. And, um, you know, one day I just had the drone up during King season and like, yeah, there's fish rolling kind of everywhere, but we didn't really destroy them. And I had, um, two really good anglers and it's just like, weird, weird. Like they're off the bite. You know, you hear all these weird things. People say, Oh, they're off the bite or, you know, full moon or, you know, pick, hmm. pick, yeah, right. pick your excuse whether they're not eating. Right. Um, and, uh, so later that, you know, later that night I'm reviewing the footage on my laptop and I could, I could see the fly. People would cast it, you know, kind of 70 degrees down. They do this shitty little trout mend or whatever. Yeah. And as that swings coming through the skagit or whatever they're, um, if they're fishing a single hand is pointed kind of 45, but the sink tip is curled a little bit and the fly is damn near up river. So they think it's, they think their flies one, you know, in one spot, yeah. but it, it's not. And what happens is that fly, 
accelerates downriver and then makes this quick turn at the bottom. And you could see Chinook heads turn when it oh, nice. fly by it. Like they're like, they'd see it, but they're like, like Frank, what the fuck was that? Yeah, like, right. right. That, what was that? <laughs> what went by us, you know? And, yeah. and, um, and so I'm like, holy shit, like we're not, the fly's not coming across slow enough. Like it's not where we think it, it's at. Yeah. And at this point, I've been guiding winter steelhead for a while. And, you know, I think this is like my fifth year in Alaska. Like, I thought I was like hot shit. Like, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Wrong. Like, <laughs> completely wrong. So <clears throat> I get out there the next day. I got two good anglers. We're set up kind of in the same spot. And it's like same shit. Like, fish are rolling. We hooked one, you know, third cast or whatever. And then it kind of went dead for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And, you know, they're... They're accomplished anglers, like I said, so they're they're doing their own thing. There's, oh, I'm going to swap flies, Eric. I'm like, okay, oh, I'm going to change this tip out I'm a little bit heavier. It's like, okay, nothing's working. And so, you know, I start telling them about the drone footage, and I'm like, guys, I don't think um, I don't think we're like straightening the fly out with that little mend. I think it's I think it's coming in sideways and it's accelerating past these fish. And they're like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, you gotta you gotta mend it more. They're like, all right. So they throw it out and they do like just the bare minimum mend. And I was like, I, I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to take. They're like, okay. I'm like, you know, mend it more. They throw it out again. They do a little bit, a little bit more like, like that. I'm like, no, nah, like more. <laughs> so this went on for about 20 minutes. You know, they do a little bit more of a mend and I'd be like, no, that's not right. And I don't know what's right sure. at, at this point. I'm just telling them, Hey, I don't, I don't think that's, the goal. Yeah. So we're kind of like figuring the shit out between the three of us in the boat. And, um, you know, I'm like, I think you need to like actually lift that. And they're throwing a spade rod. I'm like, you need to lift that rod up and actually pull that rod way up river. Cause mending that, you know, that sink tip is, it doesn't work. You know, if, if you've ever tried to mend a sink tip, it's, it does its job. As soon as it hits the water, it's underwater. You're not going to mend it. So you actually got to straighten it out you know, physically with the rod. So we're going back and forth with that for longer and, and they're getting frustrated and I'm getting frustrated because it's not doing what I want it to do. And they don't really understand what I'm trying to do. And I don't really either. This is all like it happening in real time. And so Mark was at the the, the bow and he's just hands me the rod. He's like, I think you just need to show, you know, show us what's going on. And you know, again, I was like, I don't even really know, Mark. I, I don't know. So I throw it out and I kind of do the same mend. And I'm like, okay, that's not it. I don't let it swing, strip the running line in, make another cast, a little bit bigger mend, maybe three or four of those. And finally just kind of go for broke. And I throw it out and I just lift the rod up and just yank on that thing way up river. And I watch the Skagit sink tip and fly kind of turn that corner come in a straight line and, and skitter to the top actually of the water hmm. but you can visually see all that in a straight line um and i'm like okay that that's what i want and they're like but you move the fly so much you know away from the zone okay and so it's like okay well we got to compensate for that so now i threw you know 20 feet past where those fish are rolling did this huge men, it kind of came in line where I thought they were at. I dropped the rod tip to create slack and I'm just a counter by, by nature. And so it was like a 10 second free fall until that fly came tight. 
And when it came tight, I knew it was just right there. It, it wasn't going down river anymore. It just sank the whole time. It came tight. The line's super straight. So it, now it's coming across that like just crawling. And that fly came tight and maybe swung for one second and a fish just climbs on. And so I, I'm not reacting. And, you know, Mark and um, Phil are, are looking and they're like, oh, okay, like we can do that. Like I, I get your, like I, I visually saw what, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. And I said, great. Now reel this fish in. And I handed the rod to Mark hmm. and his, his eyes, <laughs> I still remember <laughs> they got so big, you know, he's just like, you know, we're out here like casting for 45 minutes, Phil, like this kid takes one cast, hooks right. a fish. And so after seeing that, that became a big part of my program up there. And it was night and day. I mean, we mm. started railing fish. Okay. Um, and so when I got back to Oregon and, you know, got into my fall, you know, summer steelhead, I didn't really think about it. But once old Mr. Winter came through and I was fishing runs where I knew there was fish in, like we've caught a bunch in this run or it's like the best run on the river. It's mid February. Like you, you just know there's fish there. I started working with my guys and it, it kind of became what they call now is the mega bend. And mm -hmm. when I started doing it myself, <clears throat> I was catching fish behind my buddies in the same run. So I knew there was something to it. So I think that's the best thing that came out of that. Yeah. Those nine, nine summers and AK is like this really good tool that a hundred percent guarantee works. Right. Um, First salmon and steelhead. Yeah, for any fish that, you know, for any fish that's deep, you know, really, and that you're swinging yeah. flies to, that could be, you know, big trout or, or anadromous fish or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't get into the whole construction of uh, sink tips. That's maybe yeah. something else. But I, I, yeah. I, built, I built my own custom tips for that procedure specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I, gave, I gave a couple to people. And then, you know, long story short, somebody gave one to Simon and they made them from Rio and they ripped my ID off, but whatever. Oh, Roy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what is that like? So what is, well, I guess we don't want to promote but yeah. So basically that idea is out. I mean, so what this was, yeah, this is kind of recent years so that, yeah, there's plenty of steelhead skagit lines out there and tips. Yeah. I mean, um, Brian Sylvie came up with the fist line. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that was is, Sylvie. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that floating intermediate sink three, which is yep. still probably the, one of the best you know, winter steelhead lines out there. Yeah. Um, so I just took that model and, and built a sink tip that went from T8 to T11 to T14. So my entire setup is at a steady decline from the back end of my Skagit. That's a floater. It goes floating intermediate sink three, T8, T11, T14. And so with that mega mend, you have that heaviest part at the very back end at the tip and it just drags everything else down. Um, the other bonus is as it comes in on the swing, it's at such a decline that you don't hook all those big boulders like you do with a with a level piece of like T11 because it's not just scraping the whole bottom. It's just the very end of it is at the deepest part right, and then it kind right of gradually comes up. Yeah, it's it's not very fun to cast, but it. Yeah. I mean, do you do you want to catch that winter steelhead or not? Because this right. is a really good tip. So. Gotcha. So, so it's kind of the floating intermediate sink tip is the, uh, is that that's airflow. Yeah. So that, that was a, that was a line made by airflow. And then, um, yeah, Simon came in the shop and, and I was like, Hey man, like who, whose idea was, was these sink tips? You know, it's, it's multi-density sink tips. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, like, uh, you know, somebody gave me a, a sink tip uh, last winter on the Clackamas. And, and I'm like, was it multicolored? Like, you know, maroon, green, and then blue? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's my idea. And he's like, yeah. no. And and Jack, you know, at the shop, he's like, yeah, well, it's like, there's no bad blood, right? There's no money in, in fly fishing, so it doesn't matter anyways. But just the fact that I had given it to somebody and then they gave it to Simon and, you know, it, it's my fault because I'm like, oh, and then you guys made it. He's like, well, why don't you just send it to us and we would have made it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, right. yeah, I guess I am an idiot because that's right. literally all it would have taken, right? I know. that, that <laughs> That's the thing. I don't know the whole line, you know, space, right? But uh it seems like Simon and these people that are out there running the show, or at least on that side of it, are pretty cool people, right? It seems like that would be something they could dial in. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I said, there's absolutely no bad blood. Yeah. There's I haven't met really anybody in the fishing industry that I don't like. No, um, exactly. You know, I kind of joke it. around like, hey, if if you fly fish or gear fish or whatever, we're probably gonna get along yeah. just fine. Yeah. Um, I do wish they would have made the sink tip with their color coordinated uh, sections. Because the whole yeah. thing's black, and so you can't tell right, what, right. yeah, like where's the taper, like w- what sections are in there. So that's gotcha. the only thing I wish they would have done. But yeah. um, so that's similar to, like you said. So the fist is the float; it, it goes from floating intermediate to sink tip, and then this is the similar thing where it's kind of light down to the heavy at the very tip where the fly is. The heavier the T14. Yeah. Yeah, people get confused. They're like, so I attach the T14 to the sink, to the Skagit head. It's like... Yeah, you, you might think that too, right? Because the heavier sinks first, then it gets lighter and later, and it comes up in the zone for the fish, right? Instead of right. laying on the bottom, but no. But it's it's actually reversed, yeah. So yeah. Th- that that was the holdup why they didn't really want to make it, because they, they kept saying like, oh, because there's too much mass at the end of a Skagit head to turn over, and then to go to a skinny T8. Um so this is see now you've got me on a tangent because this is just right, like, right. this is That's a right. tiny a tiny bone I got to pick I yeah. won't say who who it was with but they kept telling me hey that's not going to work because the diameters don't add up and I'm telling them you're basing this off of sitting behind the desk and I'm out there casting it I'm telling mm-hmm. you it works and they're just like no and I right. never got that I'm like what the fuck like yeah I'm out there. I'm telling you it works. I do it. My clients do it. We're catching yep. more fish. Make it. They're like, nah, nah, the diameters don't add up. And it's like, God, man, pencil pushers. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, this is good. I love, uh, you know, we're kind of on a good a good roll here because, there's <laughs> t- you know what I mean? This is, inter- I mean, I'm heading out steelheading to an area that I've never been over out in Ohio here soon and oh cool yeah we're gonna be fishing some narrow small rivers and i've never really dialed in you know what i mean the swinging on smaller rivers so i'm kind of excited to see how you know we're doing some stuff with jeff liske out there and you know obviously he's got stuff dialed so it's gonna be cool to see you know what i mean to see everybody how that all works out Um, but i'm sure it's a similar deal yeah i'm super jealous of the midwest guys they they get so many fish out there you know uh, we always one of my good buddies, Drew Rosema. He he guides out in uh, out of Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, Michigan. For I think he's still working for Kevin Feenstra. But um, oh, nice, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's just like you know we're always joking around that like you know uh, lake run rainbows and all that stuff. And it's like, dude, they get so many fish. It's like I know if they get upset that people say lake run rainbows, it's like you guys have so many fish. I would just be shoving that into anybody on the West coast's face. I mean, the amount of fish they get in their rivers is ridiculous. So if they're coming from a lake 
fuck, they can come from outer space. I don't care. I mean, yeah. that many fish to be able to swing flies to, it's awesome. I'm I'm super jealous. So Yeah, definitely, definitely the thing. Well, and just like it's actually not that much we've been looking at the uh the rain or the the weather thinking like, well, God, is it gonna get too cold out there? And it still might, you never know. But I mean, God, the temps are the same as here. I mean, Oregon <laughs> that's, that's, in the Midwest, it's exact same temperature right now. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean fifty two and Whatever, low of, you know, freezing, you know, in that range is definitely cold. But if it gets up into the 50s, I mean, that's pretty, pretty decent. Yeah, I take that. Yeah, totally. Um, I would just want to note a couple, you know, we obviously we've steelhead episodes. We've got a, a bunch of them today. We're not going to dig. Well, and again, this is a, sh- a good example of a good episode because whatever we started, it's 30 minutes in and we're still chit-chatting. That's, that's yeah. a good sign. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, totally. so Kevin Feenstra, way back in episode 13, when we first started the podcast, we had him on. I'll put a link out to that. And then you you made me, uh, remind me of Rob Crandall, episode 62. Uh, he's, you know, kind of out all over Oregon and stuff. And he had a really cool episode where he talked about, one of the first times somebody talked about that, what you said about getting that fly to the right depth and how he does it, right? And it's the same thing, yeah. like, like using those men's to get it set up. So by the time it's at the fish... You know, it's not ripping across its face. It's actually kind of going right there where it just, you can't refuse it, right? Is that kind of how it feels like for you? Yeah. I mean, you'll hear in any podcast, book, DVD or whatever, people over and over talk about presentation, presentation, right? And for years, that would kind of just go over my head. I, I heard what they're saying. I'm reading the words. I understand what they mean, but I, did, I didn't really get it. Um, and that's, it's so important. And all, that's all that is, is setting your fly up. Um when you're summer fishing, it's not, it's not even really a thing. It's just 45 down. That thing should start swinging. As soon as it hits the water, it's not going to get deep. It's going to be a couple inches, maybe a foot if you're lucky underneath the surface. So, you know, there's no setup required. It's just quarter down, go to work, cover water. Um, there's runs that I know it's 10 or 12 feet deep, uh, like on the Clackamas, it's no secret. Well, here's a big tip for anybody fishing Oregon. Uh, specifically the Clackamas. There's a run called Dead Horse. Everybody knows that it's probably one of the best runs on the river. There's a secondary bucket. Everybody catches fish on the inside if you're first person through, but there is a secondary bucket that's about 100 feet out, and it's like 10 feet deep. There's a big ledge chunk out there, and it drops off right behind it. And fish sit behind that, but they never see flies because people don't cast 100 feet. And if they do, their flies ripping through there. So... With that setup, you know, I've got like a 10 second free fall. I do the math at the sink rate. The fly's like down like almost seven feet, which is a crazy amount for a sink tip to get a fly. And if you get it right out there and you do a big mega mend and that thing comes tight way out in the middle, more times than not, you get drilled within the first couple seconds of the swing. Hmm. So that, yeah. I mean, that it's just a really effective way to, um, yeah. you know, show your fly to fish that haven't seen the program. Right. That's cool. So, and on that mega man, just going back to that. So it's, if you were fishing, you know, making the long cast, so you're like on that example, you're trying to cast say 20 feet past where you you want that fly to get. And then you kind of make mega man that brings in 20 feet or something like that to drop in the zone. Is that kind of the length? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, not to turn this into a steelhead podcast, but if you start counting like that, every run, and really try to get it as deep as you can. Eventually, most of the runs you're gonna you're gonna hang up on bottom, or you're gonna feel it tick bottom. Well, you could back off that mega men. Maybe only throw it ten feet past your target, 
and basically what you can do is by counting, you know how many seconds it takes to be maybe a foot off the bottom or two feet off the bottom or right on the bottom at every run on your local river and at different levels. So when the clock's at like 12.5, I know that I can get away with like an eight second free fall and dead horse Mm -hmm. and I'll be like a foot off the bottom, which is where I want to be in the wintertime. But I know at like 13.5, like I I will fish the inside with like T8 and then I'll go through again or have my guy in the back go through and he needs to get 10 seconds to get down because there's more water now that six foot drop isn't good. It needs to be almost eight feet down. So it's kind of nerdy, but it's simple mm-hmm. math. But if you know that, you know, when you go through every run, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of mess with my guys and, you know, they'll be fishing. I'll be like, Hey, how deep do you think your fly is right now? They're just like, I don't know, two feet. Like they have no idea. Yeah. No. And with no. that way you can be like, Oh yeah. Like if you ask me fishing any run, you know, how, how do you think deep do you think your fly is? I know I'm like, yeah. Oh, right now it's at like four feet. Right. So that takes a lot of the guesswork out. Yeah. Um, Reminds again on that on that tip on uh, knowing exactly the, depending on the run, it could be a four foot or a, like a eight foot bucket. How do you know exactly what depth you're at? Yeah. So like a lot, a lot of the guys aren't going to be fishing that multi density tip, so that's fine. So take like T11. Like if you had to fish one sink tip, at least in Oregon around our rivers, it'd be like twelve and a half feet of T11, which has like a, a five to six second. Um, sink rate right so let's take the back end because you know devil's advocate so you know five five inches a second Mm -hmm. so at 10 seconds you're down 50 inches so you know you're down about four feet right Mm -hmm. if you fish t14 right that's a kind of a six to seven or sometimes even a seven to eight so call it seven well at 10 seconds you're 70 inches down so you know you're you're almost about almost six feet down so just by doing that basic math, you can kind of know yeah, just um, how deep you are. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Well, this is, uh, I'm glad we went down that track because I mean, the Alaska thing is interesting because especially for people, you know what I mean? If you haven't been up there, it's a good lesson for people that are going or that are going to be guides up there, right? It's a, it's a whole different world, but you were able to get down into, uh, you know, and make the transition. So is that kind of what, you know, these days you're doing a little bit of, a little bit of everything and you've got the flight, right? The Friday night flies and all sorts of stuff. Talk about that. What, what, what keeps you busy these days? Yeah. I mean, just busy, busy. It's, I'm like one of those guys that always, you know, complains like, oh man, like I wish I had a day off, but then I have a day off and I hate it. I'm just like, what am I going to do? Like I got to have a project. So yeah, just staying pretty busy. Um, you know, the Friday night flies thing that came out of just, um, you know, we're doing some at the shop in 2019, just like any shop does a, you know, a fly tying night, you know, COVID hit, everybody's at home. I kind of continued to do them at home, but like, my like heart just wasn't in it. I'm like, what is going on in the world? Everything's messed up. I can't work. Like I can't fish. They close like the boat ramps. So I just got mad. I got mad and I was Mm -hmm. frustrated and I just fucking let it all hang out. I mean, I just drink like a bottle of wine and just scream, (laughs) scream into that phone. And to my surprise, (laughs) people are like, yeah, yeah, right. Get it. You know, (laughs) give me some of that. So uh, it kind of grew pretty quick. And that's basically what it's turned into is, is very little fly tying. Um, just kind of an airing of grievances. Um, 
is what it basically is now. And, you know, we got probably 40, 50 people sometimes more that join in. Oh, wow. Um, and everybody's just kind of hanging. Just chill. everybody's so it's, just it's like, yeah. you're at the, it's like you're at the shop, right? Like late at yeah. the shop drinking some, some beers or whatever and hanging. And yeah. Yeah. I think it just works so well because a lot of people I think are like me, you get done with your work or you get done with your day. I don't want to drive to a fly shop. Yeah. I don't want to drive anywhere. I, I just right. want to be home with my dogs or my people or whatever, you know? And it's like, it's so nice, you know, technology. It's like, use it. It's like, Oh, just fire up the iPad and, and, or, you know, your phone or whatever, and, and see some insane person scream at it for like an hour, sometimes related about fishing. And it's like, oh, this is great. Like, okay. And then I this get on good. with my day. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we track this down? So sorry, what's the list of, or follow this? What, what oh, <clears throat> well, if you go to, if you go to my Instagram, which is just Mike Isa or the shop that I work for is Northwest Fly Fishing Outfitters here in Portland. Um, they're on Instagram just as NF, uh, NWFFO. Um, mm-hmm. just on Instagram. Um, they're all archived on the shop's Instagram. So you can go back and, and watch a bunch if you want. Oh, cool. I, I know some guys watch it the following morning, like, you know, wake up early, have coffee before the kids come up and fire yeah. on an episode of Friday on Flies. When does, when does it go live? When do you guys record? So we, uh, every Friday at, uh, se- seven. Yeah. <laughs> I should so know. Seven. It's yeah. like three. Gotcha. It's in that good range. Yeah. Um, we haven't started it up. We always take like the summers off just cause everybody's so busy and, um, you know, being outside and all that stuff. We usually start back up sometime in November. I think we're starting the first Friday of December. Um, we're going to fire it back up. Um, it's, it's cool. Sometimes my buddy Colby comes over, um, and he's on there. He's like, we're like the odd couple. Cause he's like anybody that meets Colby is like, Oh man, he's so nice. Like he's such a good dude. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to be friends with them. That's not me. I'm just like, <laughs> fuck everybody. I hate right. everything. And so having him there, it's pretty funny. Cause I just get going and he's always there to be like, Oh, but you know, here's the positive side of it. And I'm just like, shut the hell up Colby. Yeah. Uh, he loves trout fishing. I hate it. So it's like, yeah, yeah we got a good dichotomy going and, and he That's is a it. good dude. So we have, we have a lot of fun. Nice. Cool. We'll put a link out to the, yeah, the Friday night flies. We'll get some of that. So we can check that out. And yeah. Fair warning. Don't have your kids around. Yeah. Put the earmuffs on. It's no not kids. family. Well, it's funny. I got a, a DM from um, this gal surf art that's on Instagram. She's awesome. And uh, mm-hmm. apparently she watches it with her family at night, like around the dinner table. And um, I'm like, even like how old are your kids? And they're like teenagers. I was like, all right. Like, she's like, Oh, it's fucking great. They've heard that. There you go. <laughs> yep. like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, it takes all sorts. You got your people. That That's the cool thing about, it, right. You got to find yeah. your, your crew and you know, there's going to be lots of people that probably don't aren't into it, but it's better to find the, the crew that really loves it because right. That's the power and finding the smaller group as opposed to trying to reach everybody. Right. Totally. Like, yeah, we're not trying to put on any airs or anything. You know, I've had a couple people make comments you know, on the, uh, you know, on the page or whatever that, you know, they're, you're, you know, it's not a good look to be cursing like this yeah. or this or that. And I can't even respond quick enough. It's just like, there'll be like 30 people that watch the show, just like jump them. I'm like, easy guys, easy. Right. <laughs> they're, just, right. <laughs> they're, yeah. just, they're just voicing their opinion. So, I know. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, we don't take it very seriously, but um, we just try to have fun with it. Today's episode is sponsored by Zag.Fish who was founded with the idea of finding ethical solutions to fly tying products and services. They've done just that by creating 
jobs for marginalized people, both in the U.S. and abroad. They've got uh, everything covered. We've had a recent episode on with uh, John Grosta, who talked about uh, some of the great products they have with the, the fishing he does in Florida. Uh, with the Fairflies brushes, they've got the 5D brushes and their uh, fly fur, which is pretty amazing. Tons of people are loving this stuff for its durability and the speed that allows you to tie flies. John talked about that on the podcast, uh, and he said that just uh, basically it's going to add on at least 15 to 20 minutes to uh, each fly you tie if you're not using these brushes. Zag also has uh, Wasatch custom angling tools in their satchel with over 50 uh, custom heirloom tools that go along with your materials. So they are a true do-it-yourself company, and you got to check out zag.fish right now. If you want to, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash zag, and you can get 20% off your first order by clicking through that link. And uh, let them know you heard uh, of them through this podcast, and you'll get that 20% discount right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash zag, Z-A-G. Okay, back to the show. Well, this is this has been fun. I think I want to just touch, uh, kind of uh, dig into a little bit on. You know, I mean, we're hoping to dig into. I was thinking tiger muskie was one species that's you know definitely a little bit different than steelhead and actually kind of similar in some ways. But but start us there because you've got these other species you've been focusing on recently, including some of the warm water stuff. What's you know just take us there. So the tiger muskie versus steelhead, uh, which one's harder to catch? Um. God, that's tough. I, I, this day and age, I'd probably say steelhead. And that's yeah. just based off of, of numbers. Yeah. Um, I always tell people steelhead are by far, by far the easiest fish to catch on the planet. I mean, there is no other fish that's easier. I, I think bluegill are harder to catch than steelhead. There's just not a lot of them right. around. And are you talking winter steelhead, summer steelhead, or just any steelhead? Any steelhead. They are so stupid. Like everybody gives them so much credit. And look, they're great. They're the majestic steelhead. They're, you know, you can't say anything bad about them. They are dumb, (laughs) dumb as a rock. I mean, they're, they go in a river. They're not there to feed, right? We huck some type of colored feather. We don't put any action on it. It just comes across the water column and they crush it. Like what? Why? Right. So, and muskie isn't that way. And muskie are the total opposite. It's like they are apex predators. When they decide to eat something, it dies. End of story. That's yeah. it. I mean, so, you know, you can drag flies right in front of their face. And if they're not in the mood, they, you know, you can hit them in the head with it sometimes. Um, they'll follow your flies all the way to the boat. They'll follow it around in a big oval. I don't find the tiger muskies like a figure eight, but they do. They will eat on like a big oval. Um they're just a badass fish, and when they decide to eat, eat your fly, I mean, your your heart's going into your throat. They they absolutely smoke that thing. I mean, hmm. you'll have the occasional one that comes up and just um, you know, just kind of mouse just a big black fly for whatever reason. Um, I'm not really interested in those fish. I like the ones that you don't really see. And they yep. just come out of nowhere and just and just crush. So shout out Mike Sturza. Uh yeah. he he's uh for whatever reason been super nice to me and and shared quite a few little tips and tricks. And he's been chasing tiger muskies longer than anybody I I think I know uh in the Pacific Northwest. Um so mm-hmm. you know, if you want to catch one, 
uh, book Mike Sturza. If you want to see them and maybe catch one, then you can book me. But he he he's just got it dialed. He's yeah. He runs Lost Coast uh, Outfitters out of like he's he's near the Cowlitz. I forget what town he's in, but oh okay, yeah, I, I know. I think I've connected with him. I, I know the name Sturza. Okay, yeah, well, he's we'll, a badass. He's cool. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. We'll put a link out to that. So that's uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll, on that, I mean, I guess where are the right? Because you, you know, the, all these steelhead rivers are all around us. We're, we're in Washington, Oregon, the Northwest. Are you finding uh, tiger muskie? Yeah, there's rumors that they stocked one in Oregon. I don't know. It's too far for me. But yeah, there's there's like five or six in Washington. There's Mayfield, Merwin, uh, Taps, I think Newman, maybe Silver. There's a couple that go kind of up into northeastern Washington that I don't mess around with. But um, yeah, and these are names of? Of reservoirs, yeah, yeah. lakes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my buddy uh, Brett Wedeking invited me out years ago. And I mean, when I saw when I saw my first fish, it's, I immediately just started saving up for a powerboat that day. I mean, it's, it was just a lot of things in my life happened like that. Pretty hard, addictive personality. So like really get the horse blinders on laser focus type of stuff happens for good, for bad or otherwise. Um, And so within the next year I had a boat and I was just going out any day that I wasn't guiding and, and basically running a trolley motor, just going around the lake and, and throwing flies. Um, and I probably spent $50,000 on materials trying to learn how to tie game changers and <laughs> big double nickels and stuff. And I mean, thank God I didn't know what I know now because I, so much money in wasted flies and, and hooks, um, just trying to figure out, the taper and, and figure out what these fish want to eat. Um, for years, I was just like, they're just impossible. I can't crack the code. And then you start, you know, doing different stuff. And all of a sudden patterns start um, coming together and, and they start eating it. And, and it feels pretty good when you go out there and you're pretty confident in your gear and, mm-hmm. and your flies and, and you start making it happen. So like last, Last spring, I, I, I fished basically two months, May and June, hardcore for them. Mm-hmm. And we had 28 fish eat the fly. So, oh, wow. That was pretty good. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. What's the, so what allowed you to crack the code? What was the biggest thing? Just the fly? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I hate to give out the secret, but yeah. Uh, There's you know, nobody if, listening. This is, yeah. Really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things I feel like when tires like, I don't know, maybe back in the day, Larry Dahlberg, but definitely yeah. now like, um, like Will and, and, and Blaine yeah. Schultze, I feel like when they come out with a fly, they're like, they still fish it, but they're already on to like the next one that right. they, that you don't know about. Um, because they're, they're just always evolving with these patterns. So there's a fly called the jerk changer that Blaine mm. started tying like a year or two ago. There's no tying video for it. I just hit him up through DM and he sent me the recipe. I'm sure he's done it to other people because I see him on the gram now. And that fly is the best moving fly on the planet. Hmm. Nothing nothing can touch it. If you tie it right and taper it, trim it, it's like I've seen it do a 360. The thing's nuts. And they crushed that thing. I mean, the most aggressive takes ever. Um and then again, just working, you know, alongside Sturza, he kind of gave me that one. I won't let out of the bag, but he, he fishes a fly that all those fish that are like laid up that I can never get to trigger. 
um, they eat this certain fly. Why? I don't know, but they do. Um, but the, the jerk changer for sure mm. was something that, I mean, they were just crushing that fly. Yeah. Nice. And we might not be able to find a video, but I always like to find some stuff to put in the show notes if we can track something down there. Do you, or do you guys tie Have you, you on your channel? I know you have a few tying videos right in there. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do some tying video. I did some tying videos for Loomis that are on their their website. Um, oh yeah, I used to do more tying videos. Um, man, shout out to all the people that do it because they are a pain in the butt. I yeah. mean, the, the editing. Well, you know, you, oh, you yeah. do the show and all yeah. that. The editing in the back like round is so tedious yeah. and like I just I feel lucky. I just don't have the time anymore. I mean, I'm just. I, I'm kind of as busy as I want to be um, as far as the guiding thing goes now. Mm-hmm. So um, I just tie for fun. I I, I love tying flies still. I, I probably tie for at least an hour or two every day. Um, mm-hmm. When I get rained out or I'm off the water, I'll tie for seven or eight hours. I just, I love it. Um, like I'm going to Mexico this Friday to go bass fishing I probably I'm probably bringing 300 flies. I mean, I just can't stop tying for down there. I have way more than I'm going to need. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's out of hand. Yeah, you love it. You love tying. That's that's cool to hear. What what's the what's the bass? What's the what are you guys uh, heading out for? Uh, we're going down to this lake called El Salto. Um, it's just a they have huge largemouth down there. Oh. Um, just a bunch of us are going down there. Um, Danny from Dirty Waterflies, uh, he basically hosts a trip out there every year. So, uh, shout out to Danny; he's the one that told me about it. Um, really looking forward to to getting out there. But um, yeah, yeah, all the warm water stuff is is it's been really cool. Um, just totally, you know, got my eyes opened up to that world uh, when I went to the Midwest. Um, again, shout out Chris Will, and I mean that dude. Not only oh, yeah. is he freaking hilarious maybe one of the funniest people alive he's so fucking fishy it's insane like yeah what this is chris what was his last name chris willen he's out of wisconsin yeah and the dude is just a fish magnet um and then of course schultzy i mean yeah, if oh, people yeah. aren't if people aren't paying attention to what mike schultz and that whole crew, crew is doing yeah you're you're living under a rock i mean yeah. They their team is so badass. Like those dudes just crank out new flies, just constantly pushing the limit and created a bass fishery where there wasn't one. So hmm. I yeah. mean, spoiler alert, I just took his motto and just slam dunked it over here. I mean, <laughs> people are like, man, like, how are you figuring all this stuff out? I'm like, I'm not. I just <laughs> took what those guys do and said, Hey, that's cool. I'm going to take that and then I'm just going to do it over here. And they're like, that's so cool. You know, you know, what's amazing about that is that there's been this, I think it's all a, a fun, positive thing, but occasionally you hear these jokes about you know, the Midwest versus the steelhead, of course, because it's like, you know, the steelhead from the North or from the West went out to the Midwest. And then there's this thing like, Oh, is it steelhead or whatever? But it's so fine that you're doing that because I mean, they basically took some of our, right. The Skagit and some of that stuff. I, you know, totally we're doing out here, same deal. And it really doesn't really matter. It's whatever works. Yeah. I mean, I was out there and it's like, it's 80 degrees, 90 degrees and fish are crushing. And it's like, I'm just like having this, like, God, you are so like, I have moments I could take up a whole podcast with things I call, wow, I am stupid. Cause there are some <laughs> thoughts and stuff I've said in my life where it's like, I'm, I'm surprised I can walk down the street because oh, yeah. it's just yep. complete idiot. So yeah. I mean, every summer that 
once I stopped going to Alaska, it's like a hundred degrees now in Oregon. I mean, mm-hmm. it is hot 110, here. 120 sometimes. Almost. Yeah. Like June through September. And it's like, yeah, yeah you know, it hates hot, hot heat, steelhead yeah. and also trout. But then people are just like forcing it all spring and summer. They're out there, you know, at three 30 on the Deschutes, right. you know, chasing steelhead to like seven 30. And then it's like, well, the sun's up. So we'll just take a six hour nap or we'll throw tips. And it's like, meanwhile, there's like huge smallmouth bass, carp, tiger muskie that are just annihilating mm-hmm. anything that comes in their path and nobody's fishing for them. So it's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Go fish for those fish. And so I basically started with, you know, Jack, the owner of the shop, Colby's out there with me and a couple really good clients that, you know, I've taken fishing for a while that I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing some of this new shit. Do you, you guys want to try it? And they're like, yeah. And now it's just taken off. Um, and it's really nice, you know, comp, like I said, compliments from, from clients and friends and stuff. They're like, wow, that's awesome. You're really, you know, doing something different and figuring it out. It's like, I'm not, don't mm-hmm. give me any credit. Yeah, I'm not doing anything. I literally stole these right. guys' program the from is, the Midwest. Right, Blaine's doing the musky, the fly, yeah. right, everything, and yeah. and Chris and you know Willen. Yeah. I I could probably show you 400 you know pages of DMs from me to Willen just asking him questions about muskies for the last four years, or Schultzy about you know bass and where they're at and why they're doing this, and they're just open books, mm. and so. Yeah, I didn't figure anything out. I just looked at people that killed it yep. and went, hey, how do you do that? And they're like, oh, like this. And I'm like, yeah. okay, thanks. And then just started doing that. That's <laughs> so well, that, I mean, that's always the way it is though, right? It's never it's never some new thing. You know, even look at like business or, or products, right? It's not like the iPhone was the first f- phone ever. Sure. Yeah, right? exactly. They just tweaked. They just tweaked what the, the old, well, whatever it was, right? The thing, that, the, the Blackberry or whatever it was, right? Yeah. They're like, this thing sucks. And now it's like, those are great programs. And what's really cool is all the guys have been taking steelhead fishing for the last 10 or 12 years. Now we have all these different species to chase when it gets hot. And I mean, like the carp thing, I cannot believe how that thing has taken off. I mean, probably one of my favorite fish to chase now. I I just, Mm -hmm. the whole sight fishing thing, there's a million of them. The water's crystal clear. You know, it's just, they're big, you know, we catch fish over 20 pounds every season. And, mm. um, it's just, you know, it's crazy because people come into the shop and, you know, oh, you've been fishing or whatever. It's like last summer, it's like, oh yeah, you know, just guiding carp. And they, some guys are so grossed out and oh, they're really? just like, they're like, what? And, That's I'm, like, funny. Yeah. and yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm showing them photos and stuff. And they're like, oh, they're like, yeah, yeah, may, I might do that one day. I'm like, oh yeah, you yeah. can't. You know, and they're like, you know, what do you mean I can't? I'm like, uh, sold out the rest of the summer. They're right. like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's it's sold out. They're like, well, maybe I'll go out with you next year. I'm like, it's sold out. They're like, <laughs> next summer, like 2023. I'm like, yeah, the whole summer sold out. And all of a sudden, they're just like looking like what? Like, right. So that's cool. It's the only fishery that a hundred percent return rate the last three years. So three years ago is my first year. A hundred percent of those people took the same day for the next summer, whatever days I had open filled and all those people booked for the following summer. So it's That's amazing. It's yeah. just really cool. It's a short window, you know, it's gotta yeah. be hot, 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 but, um, yeah, it's gotta be hot. 
This something cool. fun to do. Yeah. This is cool. Well, let's take it back. And then the carp is awesome and bass as well. We've talked, touched on all these species the and the muskie, but I'm interested in taking us back there. So you mentioned a few lakes that people could check out. What else? Sounds like a boat is important. I mean, could you go up there with a, you know, any type of boat or do you have to have a, it sounds like you picked up a new uh, boat for the, you know, the fishing. Yeah. Uh, the problem with these fisheries, the bass fishing, not so much, but like tiger muskie, like, yeah, you're going to need a boat. Um, and then you got to have somebody run it because I've tried to run the trolling motor and fish for muskie. It's a nightmare. I mean, it, it, you can make it work, but it's not great. Um, so if you got a buddy that can run a trolling motor and you guys can switch back and forth, that's your best bet. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know guys that go out like with drift boats with a little motor on it. Um, I know insane people that go out and float tubes with their legs dangling. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would do that. Um, yep. but, but being elevated in a boat is, is really key. Um, I, I have a little bit of an advantage because my boat has a pulling platform, hmm. uh, built on it. So wow. what, what type of boat is it? Uh, it's just a Yamaha G3. It's basically a John boat. It's a 1756. Oh, yeah. boat. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a center console, but um, I, I had a polling platform uh, built on it for pulling the Columbia for carp. So it's just like, you know, you see the guys chasing redfish or bonefish. It's mm -hmm. that setup. So yeah. so when we're looking for, for tigers, I stand up there too so i'm just like running a trolling motor like 12 feet in the air so you can see i can see a long distance away which allows us to kind of creep up on some mm, gotcha. some of those fish because they really like to be in wood especially early season um so it gives you a little bit of advantage so yeah you want a boat um so that's that's kind of the downside but um yep. and then just fly construction like you're going to have to tie your own because that no one sells them in oregon or washington you, you could probably get some online um, from some online tires. But then again, the stuff that works for like real muskie doesn't necessarily work for tiger muskie. Hmm. Um, there are some crossover stuff, but um, yep. they don't like the really, really, really big shit over here. At least hmm. what I found. Um, and then you're going to have to have some pretty serious gear. Um, you know, we throw the, the Loomis IMX Pro 11 weight it's mm -hmm. a musky rod. It was designed by Chris Willen. Um, it's it's a serious stick. It's stiff. Yeah, it's just a bit. It's just a big yeah. rod. A um, you know, you can fish it all day, but it's really about the stopping power. Most of the most of the fish that we catch, they're not hooked real great. Um, so when they eat the fly, it's like you gotta not let them take any line and just kind of reef them into the oh, wow. into the net, which is full hand-to-hand -hand combat yeah no kidding so they hook up and you're how long do, when they hook up to getting to, to the net does it take it as fast as possible but yeah. it, and sometimes you get lucky um you know you get some strong dudes in your boat and and they know what i mean by like you know stand that fish on its head it tries to go and if you pull back hard enough they'll actually do like a little bit of a handstand and as they come up you you can get the net on them but all oh, right sometimes you just get some big fish. Um, my buddy Kendrick hooked a, a toad and I mean, we saw it happen right at boat side. It crushed it and there was nothing he could do. It just, it had room to go and it just went straight to the bottom of the lake, like, you know, 40 feet down, you know, you just can't, 
you can't stop a fish that big if it gets like if it gets one good tail kick it's going oh wow so um yeah. he did he did manage to land that one though but oh, i yeah. was and how big how big are these fish some of these bigger ones that one so i don't have a bump board um so my measurements are real loose um you know the the fish can fully extend i have a giant net so i just have like a a, a little um taylor's tape so it's like mm, give or yeah. give or take an inch or two um but that one was 46 so it could have been 44 it could have been 48 right. i'm guessing it was more of that 45 to 47 mm -hmm. um i know there's a lot of musky guys are really obsessed with the bump board and the inches and all that stuff i i don't give a shit yeah um right i, I know whether I, it's 46 or 48 i mean it's yeah it's a big I'm, just, fish. I'm just stoked we got one i'm tr really trying to instill that into my guys too like it doesn't matter no. like the exact length let's just get uh, an okay measurement yeah. um they're really easy to kill so i try oh, to wow. not yeah. not take them out of the water at all mm -hmm. um how do you do that how do you get a fish when it comes into the net how do you release that fish given all the sharp teeth and stuff yeah you got to be careful um people get opened up that's for sure um I, i'm just super careful so i got all the the loon makes these really good tools you know whatever shout out loon here's your mm -hmm. freeze free free sponsorship oh, yeah. for the day yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are matt, uh, matt, matt's been on so yeah it's all i think he's still is he still down there at loon yeah yeah he's yeah. great and and jeremiah Hool is the rep and oh, he's yeah. like gotcha. dude he's he's just a badass but yeah. th they've got a bunch of tools that are specifically designed to um have you not lose fingers when dealing with those fish okay um and then you know they're just kind of hanging in the in in the net and i just tell my guys grab it by the tail i slip the net out and a lot of the photos that you see are just that fish kind of hanging in the water and held by the you tail. know yep and yep. pretty much they kick off right after that so it's it's a pretty flawless little technique and people get a cool photo and yeah um you know not a big deal they're not you're not ever they're not trying to bite you at all ever uh yeah yeah i mean that when they come in real green sometimes they they'll do a little thrash in the net but uh -huh. They seem to to calm down, and um, especially once you get the hook out of them, they're just kind of like, okay, like take my photo and let me get out of here, kind of. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> wow. So, and then what's the what's the line look like? What are you using there for the line? Yeah, so I really like that uh, Scientific Angler's Tropical Titan. Mm, um, yeah. It's got like a fifteen foot intermediate uh, integrated tip on there. The thing casts awesome. I mean, it, it jacks. Um, and just having that little bit of intermediate is kind of perfect. Um, a lot of the flies I fish are unweighted, so you can kind of drive them around timber, um, gives them a little bit better action. And then I'll, I'll fish sometimes, um, you know, if I can get out there early in the spring, late April or whatever, I'll fish the scientific anglers, uh, 30 foot clear intermediate. It's like a cold water kind of line. Uh, it doesn't coil as bad, uh, in the, in the spring, but. 90% of the time I'm fishing that tropical Titan. I fish that like for bass, for tiger musky, for everything. Yeah, I, everything. It's, it's, that's cool. Yeah, it's badass. Cool. It's sweet. So you got the line and then, and you mentioned the boat. So you've got a kind of a unique boat, but when you're trolling up, so what if somebody was out there, maybe in a drift boat, they didn't have the elevation to see how do, how are they finding fish? What's that look like? Uh, just like trial and error, you know, like just really studying, um, you know, where, uh, musky want to be in different water conditions um, and just time on the water. Um, I got a buddy that comes into the shop, Eric Sanchez. Uh, he he takes his drift boat out there and he gets them. I mean, he's he's a good angler mm -hmm. and and he's been out there a few times. Um, there's a little 
um, little pack of us in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the guy, there's a guy, Randy, that goes out there quite a bit. Um, where we're all kind of, kind of sharing info, but not a ton. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but we all, you know, if somebody posts one up, it's always like the same, like five guys that are just jacked. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's it. cool. Gosh. Mm-hmm. So you go out there and uh, in a good day, uh, like you said, right, what is it? I mean, getting into a few fish or sometimes more. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing that I like about these species, the the smallmouth, the um, carp and the tiger muskies is you're seeing fish, your guys are seeing fish, you know, your optimum is the optimism is high. The stoke level is high. Um, that's the problem when chasing steelhead, you're like, there should be a fish there. I don't know if there is. So it's, it's very different, but I mean, yeah, uh, I've never not seen fish when I've gone out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen as many as, I don't know, 60 or 70, maybe in a day. Um, they're kind of just everywhere some days. Um, mm-hmm. Other days, maybe you only see like five or six. Um, right. On around wood, like you said, that's they're around structure. They're they're waiting, kind of ha- hanging, and just kind of that's their their story, right? Yeah, until it heats up, and then once the weed beds grow, they move off of the wood and onto the weeds, and that's where things get a little bit more difficult because there's huge weed beds in those lakes, and they'll be in the edges of them, they'll be oh, in the gotcha. middle of them. Yeah. They're a lot harder to track down. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of just what you're targeting and you'll, you'll get follows, you know, you'll get fish coming and looking at your flies that takes, you know, it kind of keeps you on your, on your toes, but, um, you start to learn the fish's behavior of the ones that are going to eat and the ones that aren't. Yeah. And, um, it's pretty obvious when, when they come out, what's the, what's the one that's going to eat? How's it differ from the non, non eater? Um, so there's kind of two different ones that are going to eat. There's ones that are just kind of laid up either in wood or on a flat sunning themselves or, you know, on a weed edge. And if you've got the right fly and you come across real slow, they'll come out kind of slow, but then they kind of slowly accelerate and you're like, oh, he's going to eat it, but it's going to just be this like soft eat. And they, mm. and they do, or they refuse it. That, that one's kind of like a 50, 50, um, when you throw it into wood and there's a fish in there or you don't see a fish in there and you start stripping and immediately something comes out, it's like, it, it's going to happen. Mm. I mean, it's just like, That's it, it. It, it, it's a great feeling because you can, you just tell your dudes to get ready. It's like the best feeling as a guide. You know, it's like, I see that fish come out probably before them and I'm like, get ready. He's going right. to eat it. And you just see your client just like, get jacked they're like getting to the fighting position they're like right they they down a little bit they're stripping and this fish comes over and absolutely destroys that ball of feathers and i'm just screaming at him you know just like nail him like it gets real like intense (laughs) how do they and how do you nail them how do you set it on those strip set that fucker as hard as you can as many times as you can just keep doing it right they're like when do i stop i'm like when it hits the net just yeah and then stripping just and they don't get the hook in there a lot of the times it's like yeah. how i mean how uh, many times have you like been trying to tie on a fly and you hook yourself so bad you got to like do like a surgical procedure to get that hook out and these dudes are going like grown men and women just reefing on an 11 weight and that fly just will not get in that fish's mouth oh, it just wow. will not penetrate that sucker yep so yeah that's it so you missed uh, so a lot of those well some of those fish percentage you're not getting hooked they're taking it but you're not just not hooking up 
Oh, yeah. I had a horrible run last year where it's like, I think like 10 fish ate in a row. and We just never, never got tight to them. Yeah. Now, Sturz is like, sometimes you got to wait for them to turn on it. And it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen until you've had it happen so many times. It's like telling guys not to set on their first steel hit, right? Yeah. They're going to lift. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, tell me how to guide somebody into a four foot fish accelerating at your fly. Like, displacement of water is massive. And just be like, oh, just hold on a second. Yeah. Hold yeah, on. Don't do anything. Hold on. Okay. Start. Okay. Now go ahead and set the hook. Like, no way. Like, the no. adrenaline's, I can't wait. <laughs> I don't yeah. expect my clients to wait. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, so you're casting in towards, so you have this. The tropical line you mentioned, you make the cast and you have unweighted flies. How is, is the fly, is it sinking down a bit? What's that look like before the fish are taking it? Yeah, I have the be- the best luck as soon as the fly hits the water to, to start moving it. Yeah. Um, it's not a depth thing. They they come from underneath, so you definitely don't want your fly too deep. Yep. Um, just right under the surface is, is just fine. And just start stripping. And, yep. and what's that strip look like? So that's that's what's cool about the jerk changer. A lot of the other flies, um, you know, there's the Optimus Swine that's got a little reverse popper head. And if you do kind of a longer, slow strip, that will walk the dog um, mm-hmm. side to side under the water. Um, but the jerk changer by Blaine is it's dealer's choice. I mean, however you animate that fly, you can drive it however you want. Hmm. So you can make it wiggle just like a, you know, just like a swimming fish. You can do kind of short strips and it will walk the dog. You could do erratic strips and it will just look like a like a jerk bait, like crazy yep. um, changes of direction, little 180s, um, you know, it'll swirl up to the top and then kind of let it die and then pop, pop again. So that's some of the um, most fun about it is um, after doing it for a couple of years, my guys are getting really good at understanding that they control that fly. It's not just huck it out like a woolly bugger, strip, strip, pause, strip, strip, pause. No. It does something different every time you throw it in there. Um, right. You can, yeah, and you can run it over wood. The hook's kind of hidden in there, so it's almost weedless. <laughs> it's it's sweet, man. It's Damn. it's really cool, really cool. That is cool. And the jerk changer tied differently. How is the move? How is it tied differently versus say just the other <clears throat> changers or anything else out there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think Blaine would care that. I mean people are tying them out there but oh, right. if you, yeah. if you if you go on youtube and just t- and just search jerk changer yeah. there's a there's a video of blaine talking oh, about it but Perfect. he doesn't put that in. he doesn't show how to tie it but you see it in the water and mm-hmm. and you get the sh- it shows the shape of it gotcha. um but basically the key to the jerk changer is the front of the fly has to be greater than half of the actual length of the fly so that's created by like some smaller spines in the back, the hook, and then like, you know, whatever hook, short shank hook. And then the front half is one long spine, usually like 35, 45, or 55 mil- millimeter spine. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that one piece that's not articulated, kind of an arrow-shaped trimmed um, brushes as right. that water passes over it, that's what causes the erratic action. Gotcha. Arrow shaped in it, as in the arrows pointed forward towards the yeah. eye. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. the way you want to trim that gotcha. head. Yeah, trim um, and it's all about it's all about the trimming um, yep. to get that to get that right taper. But yeah, it's it's sweet. I tied a bunch of them up for for bass, like kind of the smaller ones. They're like you know three and a half inches or something. So hmm. they're uh, amazing. It's slick. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Drifthook, who has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy-to-follow guides. Their fly shop quality flies are hand-tied and inspected before being carefully packed into their durable, double-sided, water-resistant fly boxes. I've got one of those boxes right here, the Drift Hooked Streamer Surge, and it is super, uh, super clean. It's packed uh, with everything you need. Flies are well-made. It's got a, a row of some beads. It's got a row of uh, some rabbit strips. It's got a little bit of flash there. As I flip it over on the other side, it's packed with some smaller flies. It's got some muddlers, and, uh, and it fits right there. Double-sided box, nice and clean. They have everything from nymphing to dry flies, streamers to euro nymphs, and everything in between. Uh, if you're brand new to it or know somebody who wants to get into fly fishing or needs a good present, uh, this is a great opportunity. Uh, I would love to get this thing in my stocking, I can tell you that much. You can check out Drifthook right now by heading over to drifthook.com and using Swing at checkout to receive 15% off your next order. That's Drifthook, D-R-I-F-T-H-O-O-K.com, Drifthook.com, and you swing, S-W-I-N-G, at checkout to get 15% off your next order and some of these sweet custom fly patterns. Okay, back to the show. I want to just take it back because I, I saw a video you did on the totally changing the table here back to cold water. Yeah. But it was on cold water uh, feet tips. This is a good one because, you know, like I said, I'm heading out to some cold you know, rivers for anybody that's fishing this winter, right? It gets cold. And if you don't have boot foot waders, your feet can get really cold. Talk about that, that little tip you have there. And are there other little tips you have out there you've done, or is that something like kind of one-off stuff? Yeah. So uh, two, two tips for sure. Again, not my ideas. Uh, shout out Ben Glick, uh, friend, you know, client turn friend over the last few years. Um, super smart dude. So boot foot waders, crazy expensive worth it absolutely if you want to know why there's a video on my instagram where i have a new um uh chart for sims uh that will uh, show you which waiters to buy based on uh your wage uh your rage level oh wow and uh your age I so love that. It, it's definitely a, a parody <laughs> the, the, yeah. the 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 stupid part about it is it works because i did it I, everybody at the shop um you know people that come through you you, you do that addition and it's a hundred percent guarantee what's your remind us again what your instagram is uh mykiza so just m-y-k-i-z-h-a um it's ironic because if anyone knows me they know i just i absolutely hate trout fishing um that means rainbow trout in russian so i i picked that name because they the first steelhead they found was in kimchaka and they called it mykiza and i was like oh that's cool that's just like the original Mikus or whatever. Again, I'm an idiot. It's Russian for rainbow trout. So that's ironic that that's my name. <laughs> right. There you go. But yeah, so so Ben's tip is, um, so it's going to cost you a little bit, but it's not going to cost you as much as bootfoot waders. So everybody's got a pair of waders. Great. That's one part that you need. Everybody's got a pair of boots. Now, this is the tricky part. You're going to have to buy a second pair of boots. So if your if you wear a size 10 street shoe your wading boot is an 11 right because you you go up one size with this system you need to go up two sizes so if you normally wear 
an 11, you're going to wear a 12 if your street shoe's a 10. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I was on that line. The one thing with me is sometimes I think maybe on half sizes, you don't go up because I'm, I'm a 10 and a half uh, street shoe and I wear a 10 waiter typically or a 10 boot tape typically. So I'd probably go with 11. So you wear a 10 and a half street shoe? Yeah. And you wear a 10 waiting boot? Yep. Dude. You, you think that's me, bad? That's very bad, Dave. You think 11 is better, the better one to go with? Fuck, I would go with a 12. Really? Oh, yeah, man. Wow. More, more space, the better. So again, all, all, the, all the stuff anyone's ever done bad, I've done. So when I started, when I started fly fishing, I, wear, I have tiny feet. I have an eight and a half. Yep. So I was like, oh, a nine's perfect. Wrong. Nope wrong you got all that neoprene and you got socks all and that stuff so they're building these boots when they say when they say a 10 or because they don't have half sizes right 10 11 they're yeah. building it for extra stuff in there no no it's still a 10 it's still a 10 it's just it if you try to wear a street shoe it's like put try putting your street shoes on with waders it's like it ain't gonna happen because all that extra neoprene yep. is taking up all that space so yeah you want to go at least a size if not a size and a half. So if you're a half size, say you're a nine and a half, don't get a 10, get an 11. Okay. And if you're a there 10 you and a half, if you're a 10 and a half, get a 12 there because you you, all that extra room in there and you want to like tie your boots as loose as you can. Cause it's all about circulation. Right. So you want that extra gotcha. room in there. So this is good. So, so go with the 12, go with the 12 boot and just keep it plenty of room in there. If yeah, you have like get, 10 and a half. Get, yeah. Yeah. Give yourself two sizes. So again, let's say you okay. wear a, ten, a 10 street shoe, get a 12 boot. Gotcha. What you're going to do next is you're going to buy those wet wading socks, those like neoprene socks that you wear in the summertime when you're not wearing waders so your boot fits. You yep. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep. And they have that little hook sometimes. Just yep. cut cut that off. Yep. Um, and so you get your your thinnest merino wool sock or like a dress sock, something really thin. You put that on. Then you put on the neoprene wading sock. Then you get into your waders. Mm. So you have six millimeters of neoprene foam between your foot instead of three and the boot instead of three right and it it is night and day that works you, you will never be cold ever again i don't care how i don't <laughs> care how awesome. cold the, the water this is gets. Awesome. people are, there's gonna be some people really happy about this part of the episode oh, so it yeah. is by far the best tip i mean and get just the cheapy waiting boots because it's just going to be the winter time so like <clears throat> sims yeah. hundred dollar ones or, or whatever um they're fine just yep. make sure they're two sizes big. Most people already have the wet waiting socks. Yeah. Get a thin sock. You're just going to yep. be like, holy shit. Like, so, this is so comfortable. I'm loving it. That's cool. And on the thin sock, so there's no reason to go with more of a, a medium sock on that. The th the thinner merino is, is better than the thicker. Yeah. I mean, again, it's all about air, right? Yeah. Um, you want some air in there. So super thin merino wool, it's going to wick away any sweat. And there's going to be sweat because you're going to be warm. So yeah. yeah, in that in that neoprene, and then you know, in 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 that boot, and it's it's unbelievable how what a big difference it makes. So for a hundred bucks, you could be warm all winter. I mean, yeah. frozen frozen feet are no longer an option. That's sweet. Um, That's really the sweet. Uh, <clears throat> the other pro tip I will say is shout out again, my buddy Jeff Arnold. He's mm -hmm. the originator of the wrist sock. Again, somewhere on my Instagram, there's a video of, of it, but, and it's just what it sounds like. If you've got a bunch of socks, you know, with blown out ankles or toes or whatever, and you're going to get rid of them, just cut that top half of the sock off, the one with the lines in it, like the crew part, and slide it 
over your wrist and then roll it. So it's like basically like a sweatband around your wrist. Um, then put your raincoat on. So you got all your clothes on, grab the wrist sock, throw it on your wrist, fold it over, put your raincoat on and reef down your cuffs in front of that, that wrist sock. Um, because every time in Alaska, you know, it's freezing cold. You get out there, somebody catches a King, you're, you know, elbow deep into the water, resuscitating it and, you know, taking care of the fish. Well, you get done and half your sleeve is soaked all the way to your elbow. Right. And it's like, God damn it. I got eight more hours of this. Well, with wrist sock, as the water comes in, even the tightest waterproof cuff isn't waterproof. As you dip your arms in to release a fish or whatever you're doing, that sock soaks up all the water. So you unreef the jacket, grab that wet ass sock, <laughs> throw it somewhere and pull out another pair and put them on. Boom. No kidding. Your stuff stays dry, stays warm. The wrist sock. So the oh wrist sock, God. and that is just cutting off the the lower end and using the, the tube sock part of yeah. it. Using the top part that, that that goes around like uh, like your calf and stuff, wow. yeah. yeah. There you go, and roll yeah. it up, roll it up in there, and then that just is, yeah. It's your, it's going to get wet, but that it won't. The rest of your arm isn't going to get wet. Yeah, you got like ten pairs in your boat. I mean, I can't tell you how good a a dry pair of wrist socks going on your wrist as a as an Alaskan guide. Yeah. Like it's just the little things. Like you slide that on, and you're just like, I can do it. I can do eight more hours. This is it. This is this is a total product. I mean, it's not out there. You can't buy a wrist sock. Oh, I've been begging easy at Sims. I'm like, make the wrist sock, like make it yeah. out of like, like fleece or something, make it nice or whatever. Have you thought about getting into the product side of the fly fishing business? I haven't, but I'm like, somebody make, I don't even care. I'm like, just make it. Cause I'm running out of socks. I mean, somebody. So if we come up with the wrist, wrist sock, you wouldn't be too, uh, too uh, pissed if the, if we had our wrist sock. If you come <laughs> out with the wrist sock, give, give 5% of all sales to Jeff Arnold. Cause he came there up with it and you, and you could do whatever you want. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's uh, sweet. No, these are good. So these are, these are the pro tips, right? I mean, you spend a, a year or years in Alaska and what you do in cold weather. Yeah. So it's good. I mean, well, what else do you throw out there? Do you have video? I mean, are these tips videos? Do you have like more of this stuff out there? Yeah. I mean, like on the mega men and stuff like that, there's some, there's some videos on my Instagram that I, um, that I've put, put up and stuff. I use the Friday night flies a lot for a lot of Q and a, like I said, there's not much fly tying involved. I mean, we tie a fly every time, but we're just bullshitting, but people will ask about all sorts of stuff. So it's kind of just like an open forum really of just sharing information. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's just being out there all those days. I mean, that's where a lot of these products come from. A lot of guides and outfitters and stuff like that, they're doing the same thing, you know. Um, yeah. Like Sims has got a badass jacket coming out. I, I can't say oh, anything, do. but finally, after screaming at them for years, kindly, um, they've got a couple really cool features coming out that it's like, oh, hell yeah. Like yep. this, this is the shit. So nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, Sims definitely has some good stuff. I mean, obviously the waiters have always been the the backbone. Do you, are you a Sims waiters and all that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say everything they, they make is the best ever. I'm not one of those, like, Sims ride or die, but uh, they're waiters and they're jackets. Like, yeah. you can't mess with them. Yeah. So, like, I love Filson for their, like, long underwear stuff, their heavy oh, yeah. merino wool. Like, they make the best. Yep. Whatever. They don't pay me to say that. They just yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, Patagonia has pretty much got the down game dialed. Like their their jackets are, you know, the warmest insulated jackets I wear. So I wear those. And then 
for the shit that gets you know yeah. the piss beat out of it i, I put that. on the, the sim stuff so the yeah. outer layer this is cool well maybe we can go down again I, I love that we're kind of all over the place here but um the gear is a, is a big one right winter like i'm going out lots of people are getting ready for winter what else are we missing here so you mentioned i mean that's a great one on filson right in patagonia if yeah. you know i mean i just picked up a patagonia fleece that i really am loving but i don't yeah. have a patagonia down that would be a good tip what what else do you tell somebody if you're getting ready you got a client getting ready for a 35 degree and raining or whatever 38 and raining what, what do you tell them for the gear yeah so first and foremost like don't don't wear a bunch of stuff because it it doesn't make you warmer again you, you want air you want that separation so like a really good merino wool top and then just the thickest down coat you got so like patagonia makes a roy fitz i think it's called down it's like 800 fill you look like mm-hmm. the kid from christmas story but it's it's insane how yeah. how warm that thing is so that's a big puffy you so you you'll wear uh, a big puffy under not not a thin puffy but a big one Oh yeah, it's puffy as I get. I wish they just made it without a hood. Like, like any any companies out there, can you please just make like an eight hundred fill coat that doesn't have a hood? Because because yeah, the hood gets wet. It gets wet. It's just a soggy yeah. soggy bitch up there. So it does yep. it doesn't do anything, and it doesn't keep you warmer. Like having a no. hood on, it's yeah, just old old BS. But so that um, and then you know don't be afraid of rubber. Um, hmm. You know, like I said, uh, Sims makes great jackets, but out here it is. I mean, my buddy Ted likes to say it's a two raincoat day. I mean, you got to like, it's got to be 1000% waterproof. And I don't care how much Gore-Tex is on there. It's going to wet out. And what I mean by wet out is you're not going to be wet underneath, but it's going to be so sopping ass wet that you are going to be cold. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, Grundens has like a $120 jacket. It's a quarter zip. I forget what they call it, but it's like their most lightweight PVC kind of yeah. rubber. Um, as, a, as far as a guide goes where you're not casting or doing much really hardcore athletic stuff in the wintertime besides rowing, um, it's like a key piece of, of equipment. It's always in my boat uh, for yeah. when it's like calls for like a quarter inch of rain. If it's dumping. Oh, you throw that thing on. You're so comfortable because it yeah. just the water runs right off. It 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 it, it does, it, and it's it not getting wet. wet. That one isn't seeping through, right? You're not. You're no, not no. Through. I mean, yeah. it's a hundred percent bomb proof. That's a that's a. If you're going to Alaska for your first year of guiding, yep. or your fifteenth. If you don't have one of those, you are messing up. You know, and I think I well, I was just up there, right? We did a trip, and it got you know definitely a couple nights. I mean, it rained a ton there this year, like it yeah. flooded all over the place. But we had really nice weather. But one night, one day, day and a half, it got really cold and wet. And I did, I had one of those. I think it might be different, but it was kind of the rubber. It was the Grundens, and uh, and I put it on just with my normal stuff, and I probably didn't have the right merino layers and stuff. But I mean, I kind of got cold under that. And yeah. then, so I went back to my old Sims, right? I got this old Sims jacket that's just been killer for years. Put yeah. that on. And even though I had that damp layer underneath and, and stuff was a little bit wet, I was still mm-hmm. much warmer, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're if you're fishing. So that's the thing is like, if you're, if you're the guest in Alaska or wherever, when you're fishing, you're pretty active. Yeah, you know, you, that's right. So like you generate a lot of heat. So like you want that Gore-Tex, you want that Sims. That's it. A lot of the time, you know, if you got good anglers in Alaska, you're just bumping the the anchor down if you're fishing for kings or you're just, you know, netting fish or whatnot, yep. but you're getting hammered by the elements. So having yeah, something like that is always there. nice to have. Yep. 
That's cool. Yeah, no, that is a good one. And so, and then, so you got the jacket. What, what else are you throwing out there? You got the wrist, uh, you know, you mentioned the wrist sock, right? Gotta have the wrist sock. Okay. Yeah. One other good tip. This, yeah. is, this, this one's real good too. So everybody's got like a Merino buff or whatever, you know, the, yep. you know, whatever for sun. So if you fold that thing in half and then put it on with the open side facing up, like towards your mouth or whatever. And so you, does that make sense? Like you fold yeah. it in half and put it on. So it's like almost like a pouch going around your neck. Yep. Um, th- I did this, this was on accident. Um, I was fishing. It was one of those days where it was a two raincoat day and it was just rain, 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 rain all over me. Well, we, we landed a nice steelhead. I had like those little heat packets or whatever inside my gloves. Cause it was so freaking cold that like my fingers just didn't want to work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like getting ready to tail this fish and I'm like, shit, where am I going to put these? So I like take them out and I just, I just tuck them into basically my neck where my neck gator is at and, and then we're, you know, we're dealing with the fish, take a photo, whatever. Um, and I forget about them. And later in the day, it gets a little cold. So I zip my coat, my raincoat all the way up and kind of do like the little shoulder shrug or whatever. And it was just all this heat like around my neck. I was like, oh, what? nice. I was like, what the hell? And I remembered, oh, yeah, I put those in there. So I was like, well, this is a pretty good idea. So the next time I went out, I got like two, put them in front. And two, put them on the back of my neck in that buff, so they 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 couldn't slide out or, right. or get out. And then when you zip your raincoat all the way, you know, tight or your jacket, it presses against your neck, and so it's like having just like a heat pad around your whole <laughs> That's neck awesome. the whole day. It's like yeah, and you know, obviously you got a lot of blood going through those arteries and stuff in your neck, so it kind of just heats you up. Yeah, That's yeah, a, that's, that's a killer. There you go. So there's nice. another one. Yeah. What, and what are your gloves? What do you got? The, what what type are you doing for the gloves? You know, Jack hates me for this because like every time people are like buying gloves, I'm like, just go get the fingerless ones from Indian Backs. I still stand by that. Um, you know, Sims has a great pair of wool fingerless gloves too. So if you don't have an army surplus store like I do yep. around the corner, Andy Backs, that's right. That's a great uh, a, a great thing to pick up. But but fingerless wool gloves. They're, they get wet. They stay warm. You've got your digits. The they're warm. I mean, they're easy to get on. They're easy to get off. They're yep. pro- the least expensive ones. Bring an extra pair if you want, but you really don't have to because even when they're wet, you squeeze them out and they're still yep. super warm. I mean, I've literally tried every glove I know. on the planet and that's, I always come back to, to those ones, you yeah. know, that's the biggest mm-hmm. tip. What's your, what's your hat just around this off? What, what do you got there on a cold, cold day? Yeah. So I love the Loomis corduroy hats, but not in the winter because they just soak water up. Um, I like a low profile hat um, because I like to wear either a sweatshirt hoodie or, you know, if it starts raining, I like that that hood up without, um, you know, um, a giant hat taking up space up there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, any, any ball cap, um, it's pretty much good to go or just a beanie. I don't really like wearing a beanie because I wear sunglasses, obviously, because yep. I'm fishing and it kind of pulls down on them. So, yeah, just standard ball cap, yep. whatever, dealer's choice. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, sometimes I'll work the, uh, <clears throat> you know, have the ball cap and then have the the wool cap that can kind of go on top and fold down over, right? You got that look, which can help. Yeah. But it's wool, right? I mean, that bottom line, we've talked about the stuff. It's wool. Down is the one thing that's uh, it's tricky, right? <clears throat> because if you get it wet then you're screwed. Do you find that puffy uh, Patagonia, you are always keeping it dry under there? 
Yeah, I mean that that's the thing I hear people say too. They're like, "Oh, but if it gets wet, you know, it it doesn't stay dry." And I'm like, "Well, how is it getting wet?" And they're like, "Oh, it gets water gets through my coat." I'm like, "Well, it sounds like a raincoat problem, not a down problem." That's right. Or people are like, "Well, when you fall in, it's like don't fall in." <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. you know, if, and even if you do, you have your wrist sock, right? That you're yeah, you got to... your wrist sock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you're prone to falling in, yeah, you got to reevaluate your whole. You got to take a look at other things first, like maybe getting a waiting staff or, or something. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't nice. find the the down to have an issue um, because it doesn't get wet. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't get wet at all. Cool. Well, this has been uh, fun. I mean, I think you know we're obviously. Uh, putting in a good chunk of time. This has been amazing. I think some of the stuff we're just going to have to send people out. And even if they can't connect with you, uh, you know, on a guide trip right away, they could follow you, like you said, on Instagram. Um, I got a couple of random ones to take us out of here. If it sounds good, unless you want to throw anything else out there on tiger muskie, uh, we focus on that today a little bit, but anything else we want to touch on before we head over and take it out? Uh, I mean, I'm just not necessarily just tiger muskie, but I mean, just, there's so many species of fish out there that like wherever you're living at, like we, we interviewed some guys, God, where the hell were we? I can't even remember the state. It was last summer, but like they were chasing snakehead. Like they love oh, yeah. it. Like, or yeah. like bo- bowfin or something like that. Like they, they just love these weird species. And it's, if you've got fish around you that people aren't fishing, like chase them and, and, and see like what they're going to eat or different flies and stuff, because it's just, I think it makes you a better angler and it's just, fun right yeah. i mean can't always just be you know on the babine in october no. right no no and you wouldn't want to be i mean i guess no i mean you would want to be. i mean some people would want to be but i find that uh steelhead right or just anything you know it's nice to mix up i guess that's that journey right of your fly fishing where you start out you know that phase where you're trout fishing it's great and then you're like well oh, okay i'm tired of this and you, you keep working up and you're challenging i mean do you find yourself is that what you're doing you're just challenging yourself more yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that that's what's become pretty crystal clear over the last five or six years is, um, you know, people are like, well, what do you like to fish for? And I'm like, stuff that's really tough to catch. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's, what's wrong with me, but like, that's what I'm attracted to is like, oh, is it really hard to get to? They're like, yeah, I'm like, sign me up, <laughs> which I, when I think about it, I'm like, I don't want it to be hard, but clearly I do. Yeah. You know, or I wouldn't be doing it. So yeah, yeah that, the, the more challenging it is, the more you got to figure it out. I love the fly design aspect, like mm-hmm. just cracking the code. I, I won't get into it, but like uh, the last day of carp fishing this summer blew my mind. I had a buddy, uh, another guest client turned friend, this guy, Zach Vars. I mean, he threw like a four inch articulated crawdad that was scaring everything uh, at a carp in this thing move like 10 feet and absolutely pounded the hell out of this and like ragdolled it trying to kill it. I mean, it was like the most aggressive eat I've ever seen. And it was from a carp and that just blew my socks off. I was like, uh, okay, well I've been doing it this way the last three years and we've been catching them, but like these things will charge and crush like a big articulated, like one ought hook style fly. Uh, it didn't make any sense, you know? So yeah, just all seeing all that stuff, everything's real new, you know, like being a, a steelhead guide for the last 10, 12 years, whatever it is now. Yeah, you see it all. Y- yeah, you just, you see a lot of it. And now it's like all the stuff is new and, and challenging and the fish are badass. And it's just, yeah, that's right. Yeah, keeping it fresh. How many guys do you see out there 
chasing, you know, wherever you're at, chasing carp? So my first year, zero. Second year, um, which is this last summer, I guess, uh, there's like four boats out there. Yeah. Um, one of them is a client, this guy, Fred Ramsey, and he goes out with his brother, Mark, and they, they, they catch a couple. It's really hard because they're just on a trolling motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another boat out there that I think the guy just came into the fly shop the other day and we were talking a little bit. Um, and then there's this one boat that it's kind of an older gentleman. He's being a real dick. He is, <laughs> fo- he is following me everywhere. Oh, right. I mean, everywhere I go. Well, like you go to the boat ramp and he's there putting in his boat. Like, uh, no, but like, as soon as I go to a spot, I see him pull up and I'm like, oh, wow. okay, this is annoying. And we'll like fish it for a little bit. Then I'll move spots. We're there for like a minute and I hear his boat and he just pulls up and he'll be like 20 feet from me. Wow. And you're and talking, you're in a big, big area, big river. We're in the Columbia River. Yeah, it's yeah, freaking a massive. River. It's just like, what are you doing? And like. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt being like, he's old. He just is trying to figure it out. He wants to catch carp. I get it. But like, if I see him out there this summer, which I'm probably going to, I'm probably just going to have to motor over there and be like, Hey man, like I, I obviously don't own the river, you know, but like, you know where I'm fishing. You see all the spots I'm fishing. Can you just go to those spots when I'm not there and we can right. kind of share yeah, this area? Strange. Because like it ruins it for me because like, Usually it's just me and my client. We have all this water, and it's like, right. oh, it's nice. Yeah, you're then in a gigantic you like, river with four boats. Yeah, and then you turn around. It's like there's two boats right there. It's like, guys, amazing. What are, I mean, what are you nuts. doing? And nuts. the other thing is, they just can't get as shallow. So sometimes they're kind of just on the outskirts, like, oh right, staring at you, you know? Because <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, you're doing your thing. I mean, I'm in like, in there. yeah, I'll, I'll be in six in- six inches of water sometimes, and it's like your trolling motor ain't going to go that that shallow, no. you know? Oh, that's cool. So. Yeah, this is kind of the, the, I tell my guys, I'm like, you know, book as many days as you want in the summer that are left because this is the the golden years of carp fishing in Oregon. I mean, it's just going to get busier and worse yeah, out there. I know. But, but right now they are fucking eating everything and yeah. they are, I'll see 500 fish tailing in a day. I mean, huh? it's, it's absolute insanity. Where, where do you send somebody right now? We're not going to be able to dig into carp. Uh, you know, they could connect with you, obviously. Where else could somebody, I mean, where would you send somebody if they want to just learn kind of online, whatever, do it yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think a great uh, training ground for carp is Savi's Island. Um, mm. it's, no, it's no secret. A lot of people know about it. There's a bunch of different ponds uh, out there. If you time it right, they can be pretty clear. If you don't, they can be pretty dirty. Um, but that's a good way to stalk. You don't need a boat. You can hike around a lot of those ponds and areas. Um, but anywhere that, you know, anywhere you can get into where, um, where it's a shallow flat and there's a bunch of lakes that have them. Um, there's, you know, obviously the Willamette and the Columbia, there's a lot of space out there. Um, but the bigger rivers, it's kind of a boat thing. There's definitely places you can hike into. Um, I don't want to blow them up because there's, there's very few guys that do it. Sure. And so I'd hate to ruin their spots for them. Um, but yeah, so obviously it's a great, great way to get started. Um, but it's pretty amazing how it is right now. It's, I I would argue that the Columbia river is probably the best carp fishing destination in the world. I Mm. know, I know Beaver Island. Yeah. Beaver Island. Right. It's supposed to be something special. I haven't been out there. Um, but I've heard that, you know, the fish can be kind of spooky and or yeah. whatever. Right now, it's we can get so close to them on the Columbia that if you can just get that fly in front of them, 
for God's sakes, just put it in front of that fish and he's going to eat. But uh, they spook, you know, they spook a lot. Wow. Yeah, I was just looking back. 102, um, we're, uh, episode 102 we had uh, we, Kevin, or who was it? Let's see here. Ke- yeah, Kevin Morlock. We went to Beaver Island. So a lot of these places, you know what I mean? I'm kind of living uh, vicariously, obviously, through some of the people out there. I hope to, you know, my goal is to get around to all these places, right? It's yeah. not, not going to happen ever, you know, with 400 episodes, but at least gives us something to be, you know, set a goal for. Uh, where, where are you heading next as we take it out of here? Where, where's your next uh, big trip kind of, uh, we, we talked about one, right, coming up here? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm heading to Mexico um, December 2nd. I kind of had an epiphany, you know, a year and a half ago or so. I was just working all the time and and I wasn't doing much. I just guiding, 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 you know, a little bit of a slow season. Maybe I, I don't know, go camping or something. And and I'm like, man, like nothing against all the guys I guided in Alaska, but like everybody works their ass off till they're like 62 or 65. And yeah. And then, you know, I, I guide them and they're like, hey, I just retired last year. I'm just living it up now. And it's like, yeah, but like you can barely get in the boat. Like, you, yeah, you know, you're, you're right. taking, you're taking a nap at 2 PM. Like I'm glad you're living it up, but like, yep. I want to do that shit now. Yeah. So I just started putting money aside every guide trip or whatever. And, and just started, you know, getting smart about, you know, pro tip. If you don't have a credit card that's earning you sky miles, you are fucking up oh, yeah. massively. That's right. That works. I mean, just use it for everything that you buy. It's not hard. Just if, are you going to buy something that you're already going to buy? Then just buy it with that credit card. And then when you get home, just pay it off. Yeah. You know, and they're, and they're, all your flights will be free within like a year, right? You're just going to yep. earn it. So long story short, I just started booking shit crazy. I mean, I, I went a lot of places this year. I feel very fortunate, but um, yeah, I'm just done working and not doing anything. So Going to Mexico with some uh, some fellas for a few days bass fishing, and then um, going out to fish with Blaine uh, in Virginia in February. Um, so we're we're hosting a trip out there. Guys are pretty jacked to chase muskie with with the man himself. Oh wow, um, you're doing it. Yep. And then uh, I host a trip every spring uh, up to the Skeena. So mm-hmm. we st- we uh, stay with uh, Brian and Lizzie Niska, just two of the best people ever. Oh yeah. Yeah, we just uh, had um, we just had Stuart Foxel on, and he noted Brian, uh, and we did an episode with Brian a, a few months ago. It was a really good one. Brian's super super good businessman, awesome yeah. a- awesome angler, S- super um, nerdy about his stuff. Right, he gets into it. Very smart. Yeah, he's very very smart, um, and just a super good dude. All all the people that work at his lodge, from the chefs to the Support staff and the guides is I would give them a plus plus plus. I mean, it's if if you haven't been fishing with him, it's a no brainer. It's absolute one of the best times I've ever had. So we go Perfect. up there every April, and then I'll I'll mess around, probably go down Louisiana and fish with Jeff. He's coming out here for the first time. So um, oh, there you go. What's he going for? What are you guys gonna? Where are you gonna take him? He's all about the cart program because he's, you know, he's a redfish guide. So he's like, yeah, let's go out there and tear it up. So <laughs> see that amazing that like, think of this, a guy, redfish guy, maybe tons of people want to go for redfish. They're probably here or well, a lot of people. Yeah. But he wants to come here to j- chase carp, which like you said, some guys cover the shelf like what carp? Oh yeah. He's, he's jacked. He can't wait. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm it. really looking forward to it. So yeah, I got some things on the books. Uh, I'm just, just stoked. You know, it's, it's just yeah, sounds like you got things going. It sounds like, you know, we take, again, 
this episode is awesome because you took us back to Alaska. We dig, we dug in. We were, you know, I didn't even think we were going to talk about that, but it was such a cool perspective, right? And taking us there six years of Alaska, just being drilled. And you oh, put your yeah. time in, right? You probably look at that, right? You you put your six years in to be where you are now. Yeah, I mean, if you if there's people out there that are thinking they want to become a guide, you know, two things I would say are super important. One, go to Alaska for at least a couple of years because you're going to get hundreds of days on the water experience and you're going to stare at water. It's going to make your eyes really good. You're going to be able to see shit that just people don't see after a while um, and get a job at a fly shop. Um, yeah. Even if That's it's right. a day, day or two a week. Let's give a shout out to the fight. I mean, you've noted it a few times, but um, is it um, Jack? Is it Jack now or who, who's yep. running the show? Yep. Jack Hagen's been in the yeah. Hagen family for, I think this June will be 30 years. Exactly. Um, and his dad uh, a while back, right? Um, yep. John. Mm -hmm. John. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, just like a real kind of like local feel to it. You know, um, we've had a lot of clients for many years coming in there and we got a great team, you know, we got, you know, Jonesy's in there and Brian's in there and Colby's in there and obviously Jack and myself and a couple other people Ken fills in. Um, just a, a good team. And I've, I've told Jack this before too, uh, best boss I've ever worked for. I mean, absolute. That's a, that's a huge reason I've worked there for like going on eight years is that's Jack. Uh, mm -hmm, we work really well together. Yeah. Um, you know, he just, he's yep. just a good boss, man, you yeah. know? I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a huge part of it, right? Getting somebody that you're, uh, you know, working well with and jiving with and stuff like that. And it's cool to see how yeah, they've been out there a while. And there's, uh, I guess, across the the pond. Well, let's see. The Portland Fly Shop, right, is um, – remind me again who's running the show over there. You, you probably know yeah. everybody around. Yeah, yeah. So they're on 14th and Gleason. Uh, Jason Osborne. Yeah, owns Jason. Uh-huh. I think uh, John Wall and Mo might be partial owners i i, I i'm not okay. sure about that yeah but didn't was jason connected to um with you were you with jack there a while back yeah yeah so J jason was the shop manager at our shop for many many years yeah exactly um and so yeah he's got his own shop now down in portland uh awesome shop again really good crew uh nick's over there um uh um john and mo are over there uh devin's over there a couple other guys too yeah. Super, super nice guys. Really good. They got their, their, their downtown scene on lock. Yep. Um, cool. yeah, That's Portland's cool. a really good area. Um, as far as like, we don't really feel like a lot of competition with the fly shops. We all kind of work together. No. Um, yeah. You know, there's you got, the other one. Like, uh, I mean, there's not a ton, right? You got who, yeah. who's out there. It's like, I mean, you got the Orvis. I went to the Orvis fly shop uh, recently. That was cool to connect with those guys. We've had at least one oh, episode was, on there. I was kind of talking about real fly shops, but <laughs> oh snap, Orvis! Nice. You like that shots fired? No, I, I, I think like the guys. Are, I think the guys. Over what, what's your take on that? <laughs> what, what's your take on that, uh, Eric? Because it's kind of like, um, you know, Orvis is this really unique thing, right? They they kind of have like everything. I mean, they got yeah. all their products. They got their Orvis and Doris shops. They got. I mean, that's all evolved over the time. But what, what's your take? Because Orvis is definitely, you know, what I mean, you guys probably don't have much Orvis in your shop, right? Sure. Yeah. I'll bend your ear for just a couple minutes on the Orvis thing. So, uh, kind of gone full circle. So when I first started getting into the fly fishing stuff and, and steelheading, uh, a buddy of mine that used to guide and work there named Matt McCrary had these stickers made that say, um, proud to not be an Orvis endorsed guide. <laughs> and he would like, you know, stick them everywhere because you pay Orvis and then you're an Orvis endorsed guide and blah, blah, blah. Oh, is that these. right? They pay him, right? So that, that's what I was understood 
um, gotcha. as. Um, then, uh, and my joke with Orvis is like, people are like, why don't you like Orvis? I'm like, they make great dog beds. I don't know what you yeah. guys are talking about. That's you know? right. Yeah, they got some and, good hunting stuff too. Yeah. So, um, so then I started fishing more and more with my buddy, my buddy Jeremiah Hool. He's an Orvis rep, um, loon rep, SA rep. And, uh, you know, he, he starts, you know, because I'm kind of pretty outspoken about that type of stuff. And he's like, man, I think, uh, you, you know, you'd change your opinion if you knew a little bit more about him. So he, mm-hmm. you know, it's family owned. It's yeah. It hasn't been sold to a bigger business. So it's nope. like, okay, I, I kind of respect that. All the rods are made in, I, I hate to feel like I'm, promoting Orvis right now because yeah. uh, you know I'm kind of biased to Loomis but yeah. it, all the rods are um, built in the US uh, except for like their, their low model like sure. Clearwater yeah. and then from what I've heard which I can't believe this is true but I've heard from a reliable source is that you know how like Patagonia gives 1% back yeah. to the planet yeah yeah I've heard that Orvis gives 5 and that's that's gross yeah. And I've heard that Orvis gives 5% net, which is insane. 5% net. Yeah. So after everything, they give five. Yeah. So if if that's true, I'm like, why aren't you guys promoting the heck out of that? Because that's a huge deal. Because, you know, yeah. um, most fly fishermen are are environmentalists, you know, like oh, yeah. men, men, women, yeah. whatever. So so hearing that, I'm I'm less inclined to really dig at them and i know quite a few guys that are orvis endorsed and that is like you can't just pay the money they actually yeah. fly out and like vet you and stuff like that yeah, so, yeah, they vet you, right it's not yeah. so yeah. I, i'm not you know i'm not too prideful to be like hey i've been wrong about companies before and i don't feel like i should rip on them that much anymore so maybe they are a pretty good company yeah that being yeah. said do we carry them at the store no 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 but i agree i mean i'll probably <laughs> you know in patagonia too you mentioned i mean one percent i mean they actually are giving all their profits now yeah i saw that right yeah so it's i mean that's that is the the cool one cool story and we've done a number of orvis episodes you know i don't know how many we've had on but they've all been good you know we had perk perkins on and he chatted about you know again the guy who (laughs) ran the show there for a while so i think it is obviously a great company and uh but there's a bunch of great companies out there we've talked about a lot of them today as well yeah, and I mean, if you know, when you're that big of a company, that massive, like you're just gonna, you know, you're gonna get a little bit of flack, you know. It's yeah. just part yeah. of part of the deal. Totally. But um, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. Awesome. They make they make good stuff. They do well. Give me a cup. I uh, this is the back to the rapid fire, quick one here. We taking it all the way back to the good news at the start, just quickly. There's other rivers out there, right? The the Connect Talk that are in that area of kind of um, like we said, Kuskokwim Bay. Did you fish a lot of the other rivers out there? No. So like, I get, I get that a lot. People are like, where should I go in Alaska? Or where should I do this? I'm like, I have, I have like such a narrow knowledge base in Alaska. Yeah. I could tell you what bars to avoid in Anchorage and I can tell you what the fishing is like in good news. That's, That's it. Right. That's all right. That's all I got. <laughs> good, good. So what about, so on the bars? so I, I've noticed a few beverages. Do you have a, a beverage of choice in your, um, you know, when you're out there, time flies. Yeah. I, I used to drink a lot of red wine, um, but it's just so goddamn sugary. It's just like, yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. So I'm a big tequila guy. Uh, mm-hmm. a tequila soda is probably one of the most refreshing things ever. So, um, what's it yeah, called? Just a tequila soda, just tequila oh, yeah, soda, soda water. They're, they're trying to make them fancy now. They call them ranch water. Okay. That's not, that's not a thing people. I'm here to tell you that it's just not. Just because you're making it with the Tapo Chico, it's not a different thing. It's just a <laughs> you're just a fancy uh, tequila soda. That's yeah. that's all that is there. So yeah, perfect, perfect. 
And uh, and so on that line, have you ever taken uh, getting into the alcohol consumption? I've kind of I say this because I'm getting ready to kind of take a nice you know the, you hear about the sober October, but just taking a little break. Do you ever take a little break from the the alcohol drinking to you know what I mean, like rejuvenate yourself, or what's that look like? Oh yeah, I mean it's like you know they say you need like 72 hours to you know replenish your liver, or whatever. It's like September I was going to. Canada back and forth traveling a lot of places so it took like you know a week and a half off or something but uh Colby and I made the plan to after Mexico um in the first of the year we're going to do a yeah a dry January and just take a, a good chunk of time off um during COVID shit got out of control so it's been scaling back slowly ever since yeah, then that's um right. I think a lot of people got in that boat oh, yeah. too but yeah it's a, yeah. it's important to you know take little breaks one of my favorite saying is you know everything in moderation including moderation so that's right yeah you know you go. If, if it's starting to affect your daily life I'm, I'm not here to promote people that say you should you know be drinking yeah anything but uh no the moderation is the key that is not always easy to do right especially you have a tough day and whatever like all this stuff there's so much uh stuff to partake in um, yeah i mean one of my one of my own pro tips for myself that i notice is like if i'm making a tequila soda or margarita or something just put one shot in because I could put literally eight in. I'm going to yeah. have the same amount of margaritas. Okay. Right. I'm going to have three tequila sodas yeah. between tying flies and going to bed over yeah. like, you know, three hours or whatever. So they don't need to be like two shots or three shots. So that's been like, again, that's like one of those moments where it's like, wow, you're just figuring this out. It's like, yeah. So yep. uh, that right. was a, that was a huge bonus for me. Nice. That's yeah. A, that's a good tip. That's a, uh, we got our tequila tip. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice, man. Well, this has been fun. I think, uh, like we said, we definitely didn't go deep into a lot of the specific species stuff, but I, I feel like just getting a, you know, kind of a, <laughs> a look at your background is really interesting. So we'll have to keep in touch with you, man. And like maybe touch base in a year or so down the line and see how things are looking and maybe, you know what I mean? Just keep touch there. But yeah, anything else before we get out of here, we'll send everybody, I guess, flyfishportland.com is the best place to connect with you. Yeah, that's that's the website, like I said, or, you know, uh, slide into the DMs on Instagram. I'm pretty quick about uh, getting back to people that way. Um, yeah, I mean, Colby and I have gone back and forth. We might start like a little podcast, maybe like oh, a cool. once every two month thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, just the Friday Night Flies thing is kind of just extended onto that. Um, yeah, you should do it. It's a, it's, I mean, obviously it's a lot of work, but yeah, you guys would, it would be, it'd be a fun, you know, it just gets it out there in another form and it's, it's a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say anybody going to Alaska, though, this is one thing that all the guides would absolutely love is just take a casting lesson before you go. For the love of God, yeah. just spend the $100. Even if you think you're the world's best caster, just go with a, a professional casting instructor and just ha just be like, hey, I'm going to Alaska. We're going to be throwing eight and nine weights. Like, this is the rod I'm going to be doing. Just get dialed up a little bit because, you know, it, it can cost uh, $1,000 a day or more to be up there. And I can't tell you how many trips I've seen that would have been so much better because, you know, we're basically teaching these people how to cast for like two days. Yeah. And then and then they get to fish the last, you know, three or whatever, four. Right. So it, it, it will That's greatly it. increase your fun. Yep. Um, it will increase your catch rate because I can tell you right now as a guide, when we get somebody that can't cast at all in Alaska, you're not going to have a very good day. No. Um, that they, they've basically written you off, even if they're super nice, 
But in the back of their head, they're like, well, I'm not going to take him to the A shit because they're nope. not going to be able to get it done. Yeah, exactly. They can't so, reach the spot or whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's good. To, how do you do it when you're hosting, when you're doing your hosting program? Do you find yourself getting uh, plenty of fishing in or do you find yourself kind of not as much? Uh, I, yeah, plenty of fishing. Um, you know, we, we got like a little core group of like maybe six to 10 dudes that kind of go everywhere with us. Gotcha. Um, and they're all really good sticks. So it's nice. You show up hosting a trip. It's nice because I know the guides aren't going to be struggling it's like plug and play it's like they're good man just tell them where to go and, and they'll catch gotcha so you got a guy coming in for for one trip and they're like well we're, we're doing this one next whatever new trip and they're on that too yeah exactly um so you know they just they're good fishermen we can show up and and you just kind of take your 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 guide's cue like i hosted a trip to wisconsin like i was saying we fished with will and i didn't land a fish but i think everybody else did mm-hmm. um but it's it's just fun hanging out with guys and seeing different parts of the country. You know I mean? Exactly. That's really what it's about. It like, is. Yeah. I just, I don't need to catch another fish, but no, it's fun no, it's to see cool. them. Nice, Eric. Well, uh, like we said, uh, flyfishportland.com and on Instagram, we'll put all the links out there, but uh, yeah, thanks again for all the time today. We'll uh, definitely check back with you and uh, keep in touch moving forward. Yeah. It's been fun, Dave. Thanks for having me on, man. So there you go. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash 393 wetflyswing.com slash 393. Uh, it's going to get you some of those show notes. We talked about today a number of episodes that we've highlighted, uh, that he highlighted uh, in this episode and people we've had on that he's connected with. So tons of great resources. We're going to hopefully have some good videos in there for you, at least a couple, to give you some more content to keep this one uh, going strong. As we are getting closer and closer to the end of the year, uh, getting closer to 400 episodes, we are uh, excited about the upcoming year, all the giveaway season. Uh, Really, it's the giveaway year we have going. We just finished up a quick one uh, this holiday season. Um, We are looking at heading out for a Euro trip, Euro school. We got a Grand Slam we're working on. uh, So we got some salt, some fresh water. If you get a chance, it'd be great uh, to connect with me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com. Let me know if you have a trip in mind that you'd love to connect with us on. We're putting together basically some of the guests we've had that uh, are some of the biggest names you know of and trust. We're heading out there to fish with them. And we'd love to get you on the water, get you into some of these big fish and uh, and learn and kind of ups, upscale everything we have going with the podcast. It's kind of that next level. We got everything we going on, you know, here we always have this going on at the podcast, but the chance to get out and take what we've learned here, turn into our school, learn from the best, and just keep it rolling on. I'm excited for a big year. I'm excited to connect with you and uh, anytime wet fly swing on social media. And uh, and I look forward to catching you on the water. I'm going to get out of here. I don't want to waste any more of your time today. So I hope to uh, maybe catch you, catch you soon. And I hope you are having a good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, wherever you are in the world. And I look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.